0: Did I tell you that I figured out what the heck that was? Uh, uh, I I don't think so, no. So the backstory on this is that Dan and I were in the Steve Jobs Theater together, sort of towards the back, maybe like five or six rows from the back. And, and during the event, especially the first half, there was a lot of noise from seemingly like – like I, I, I couldn't quite make it out, but I thought it was like Asian language sort of like speakerphone noise. um. And for a second,
1: I thought someone was on the phone and I thought so too. Super rude.
0: I completely thought it was somebody who was on the phone, like with, you know, like, like, like Chinese media and they were on the phone with somebody at their office back in, yeah. in China, like to let them listen to the keynote live. And I'm like, dude, they're streaming it. <laughs> like you don't have to, you don't have to let them listen in on speakerphone, you know, and why are they talking? Um and it was a bit distracting and it was also kind of baffling because i would like turn around to see who it was to maybe shoot them a dirty look and and it it was like it seemed to like be moving around the theater like at first i thought it was over my shoulder to the left then it seemed to be coming from all over my shoulder to the right anyway long story short what it is what it was is that apple provides um non I don't know how many languages they support, but if, if English is not your first language, they, they give media like a little earpiece and they can get a live translation from somebody who, you know, at Apple hires to, to translate it on the fly and, which is cool. But what happened was they had them turned up way too loud. And I guess there's no volume on, on the, the actual thing that goes in your ear—it's like Apple was controlling it, and it was way too loud. And so <laughs> what? And so what? People were doing because it was so loud in their ear is they took it out of their ear and were just sort of holding it, and it was so loud, like it was supposed to be like an earpiece, you know, so you wouldn't distract people. But it was so loud that that's what we were. Everybody could hear. It was like that's how loud it was. And they oh, figured, funny. And the reason it went away about half an hour in is Apple figured out what was going on and turned the volume down, and everybody stuck them back in their ears.
1: I, I had an amazing meeting once in Tokyo with the – I wanted to do a story on the evolution of the Japanese vending machine, and I met with the guy at Coca-Cola Japan who runs all their vending machine operations, which is a, a fascinating story, and I'm not going to get into the details now. But um, they in this meeting – and also I think in a few other meetings I've had in Tokyo – Someone is an interpreter who sits in the room, and you have a, an earpiece where you can hear her speaking, translating into English in real time while you're sitting there in the meeting. It was, hmm. fa- it was fascinating.
0: It was very S- cool. Sort of like being at the UN or something.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, well,
1: so. it was. I got to say, it was. It was. Uh, you know, it had been a year since we'd been in the Steve Jobs Theater, and. Um, it's still a really impressive place like yeah. I, I think you probably talked with uh Eli about this yeah. last show, but the i i just i the sound blew me away i wasn't i, f- I forgot that they did not, that they went completely all out with the sound system and the projector and everything like that's it was when they were playing that intro sequence the mission impossible thing like the room was shaking it was so. Yeah.
0: The bass it, was so strong, not, the,
1: not in an obnoxious way, either, like in a really, really compelling way.
0: No, it's the best sound I've ever heard in a theater. It, it, yeah. There's literally no echo. It is super crisp. Uh, which, that's all right. We, we, we love dogs on the talk show. Uh, Joanna's dog is always <laughs> always a problem. What's your dog's name?
1: Uh, Ralphie. I'll, oh, tr- I'll, that's a good name. I'll try to mute when he's, that's all right. he's guarding the door. So ah,
0: that's his job. Yeah, we like that it is his job. <laughs> no, that's totally allowed on this show. Um, no, it is fantastic sound. And I, I, I talked to some Apple people and I think that they use it a little bit more internally than I was initially led to believe. Like I heard from, a, I, I wrote about how, it, it, you know, what a remarkable place it is combined with the fact that at least publicly they only use it like once a year. They do use it internally a couple times a month. They have, you know, team meetings and stuff there. I mean, it's it doesn't just sit unused all year long. I mean, they they do make some good use of it. And I heard from a couple people that they had a, um, they had a, a screening of um, the the Incredibles two, um, and nice. you know, employees were allowed to bring their kids and everything like that. I haven't seen it yet. I love the Incredibles. It's absolutely. I, I go to the theater so little now. It's it's criminal. I really, I, it's a, it was sort of like a new year's resolution for this year that I missed, but I, I want to start going to the movies more often again, because I love going to the movies and I don't know why I don't go, but I haven't seen the Incredibles two yet, but there's apparently a scene where the little baby Jack, Jack is like up in a corner, like, like hiding. I don't know. I don't know what this This is not really a spoiler, but he's up by the ceiling, hiding in a corner, like back, Right. And he makes a noise, and the theater—it made it sound like he was in the back corner of the theater. Like my one friend at Apple was like, you know, me and my two kids—we all just turned around and looked up there. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, that's cool. Ah, the promise of surround sound. Yeah. So what's coming up? I guess we—before we get into the news, we can, while we're talking about the Steve Jobs Theater, we can, we can speculate on what's coming up for Apple because everybody is expecting them. <laughs> To, to announce new iPad Pros and probably new MacBooks that are not Pro uh, at an event, which I'm guessing, I honestly have no inside information about this. We're recording this on October 15th. Nobody has told me a damn thing. Um, but I'm guessing it's going to be Tuesday, October 30th. But the question hmm. for me is where? Are they going to do it in the Steve Jobs Theater? Or are they going to do it like, you know, like they had that... Um, Remember, were you there at the Chicago thing? I was, yeah. Yeah. At Lane Tech, where I took the SATs. That's exactly right. I, I forgot yeah. about that. Right. You t- <laughs> <laughs> what a small world. Yeah. <laughs> the place where you took the SATs was at the... I, so I don't know. I have no idea what they're going to do. But I feel like Tuesday, October 30th is the right day. Because it's obviously not going to be this week. <laughs> I mean, invitations haven't gone out yet. And I... In theory, you know, they could send out invitations now for something next week, but I don't think they'll do next week, and I don't think they ever would because next week is like this Friday is when the iPhone 10R goes on sale or pre pre order, and then next Friday is when it ships, and I don't think they would hold an event in between there because uh, I would guess that like reviews of the 10R will be coming out at some point. In between then and there and they're not going to have they don't want to have reviews of a new i major new iphone coming out at the same time that they're announcing new things like it doesn't really make any sense from apple's perspective
1: yeah i, I the minute you or oh, i forgot where i read that that thinking first but that that made sense i mean th- there was a world in which you know and maybe this would have happened four years ago they would have uh put out the invitations the day of the google pixel event
0: mm-hmm. but <laughs> They did used to do stuff like that.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, my guess is that you're right. The discipline of not uh, not messing up with the uh, the signal of the new iPhone, you know, no noise about iPads or anything else. Just keep one story at a time. That makes that makes sense.
0: Yeah. So if I had to bet, I would bet that they'll have it at the Steve Jobs Theater again. And you hmm. know, I, I, but that's it, it's simply. Uh, I don't know why I think that. I just I, I really don't think that they would ever held an event at the old town hall on the old campus again. I, I, no, like why, why? I mean, it would seem yeah, like, that doesn't make sense. Even if it's not supposed to be as big a a big a deal as you know new iPhones. Uh, I think new iPads are pretty big. You
1: know. And- oh man, I'm pumped. I'm I need one. So <laughs> I hope it happens sooner than later. Um, yeah, that's that's a good question. Like, is it more work for the events team to do it on campus or it's it's probably a lot less work than yeah. having to do it somewhere else. Even yeah. In, even if it were in San Francisco or Cupertino, you know, even if it were in Silicon Valley, like it's probably a lot easier for them. I think it's a lot less work, a lot
0: because it's less travel, obviously, for everybody. Because it's, they're just doing their normal daily commute. And I think for the whatever you want to call the team that does the setup, they don't have anything to set up. I mean, not that they don't. I mean, they they put up some decorations and stuff like that in the theater, but it's nothing like the pop up theaters that they've been making in recent years at places like the Bill Graham Civic Auditorium and uh, and I mean, other even, places. even
1: Lane Tech High School like that was by far the cleanest day in the history of that school and, <laughs> and forever forever after like it will never be that as clean as it was the day that Apple had their right. event there right uh, yeah I, I guess there's the argument that like oh keep keep the Steve Jobs Theater for only the most important special events the iPhone event but I don't, that doesn't really,
0: No, I don't think that
1: means anything.
0: Yeah. I think it made sense maybe for the first event to be there, to be for last year's iPhone, you know, the biggest event of the year is the iPhone announcement. Uh, I think it sort of made sense to christen the theater with that event. But now it just, to me, makes sense that you'd use it whenever you have something to announce. And the reason they only used it once last year is it was a year where they just didn't have anything else to announce i mean one of the reasons that people are so excited about new ipad pros is that the ipad pros are current ones are really two generations old they sort of skipped the whole a11 um, cpu cycle so i think people are really excited people who love the ipad are really excited about them because it's the it, you know I, I hate to use the word overdue but they're maybe a little overdue
1: uh, no I, I think i think that's super fair i mean you know if you look at especially you know, not even just in a vacuum, but if you look at competition, like it's getting better. And yeah. um, you know, that's not to say that they have to respond to any sort of increased cadence pressure, but they there needs to be a new iPad Pro like now. So, uh, and it seems like, it, especially if the idea is that it won't have a home button, um, and there's probably more to a, more to the story. It, that's not just going to be a press release update like that. I think that
0: commands an event. So, yeah. Remember the uh, when they did the Apple Watch, and I think what was it? Uh, I forget what year when they announced. It was it 2015 when they originally announced the Apple Watch. Maybe it was 2014. But the and they had that event on the college campus in Cupertino. What's the name of that college? Uh, yes, I don't know. But remember but yeah. they they built like a gigantic like a, a literal building out front for the yes <laughs> hands on area. Like yeah they, yeah yeah <laughs> they built the equivalent of a, of an Apple Store. All temporary <laughs> just to have an open air uh hands on area after the event it was crazy I mean even the
1: stuff they do in that convention center where they have w w d c is pretty is pretty intense like the I think last summer they had a big demo area, and i don 't remember yeah. now i 'm making no, making things up, but yeah, the the construction they will do inside of someone else's space, like, is is pretty is pretty intense. So, to to go back to earlier, yeah, I, I think the if it if there's going to be something and they don't have a good reason for it to be somewhere else, you know, in the past they've had like events at like what the the maybe I, I'm blending with Amazon too, but like they'll have something at a library somewhere yeah. or something like that or. Um, you know, the education event this spring was at a public high school, yeah. but th- there doesn't seem to be a place like that where they would have an iPad event. So, no.
0: and they used to have, remember they used to have events at the, um, what's that place in San Francisco? Yerba it's, Buena. Yerba Buena. Yeah. And, and it was just too small. You know, it really wasn't that much bigger than town hall. I guess it was a little bit bigger, but it, 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 it always felt a little cramped and, um, and the hands-on area was always super cramped in there too. I remember the one time just talking about how over the top they go at, at Yerba Buena, it might've been the last year that Katie Cotton was still there and they, they knocked out a wall, like it, like the, the room where the hands-on thing was at Yerba Buena, they always painted or, or I don't know if they use paint, but draped with black. So it was sort of a very dark room with spotlights shining on the tables. Um, and they just took out a whole wall of the building so that it would be like airy and sunshiny <laughs> and then just paid <laughs> paid to reconstruct it like it wasn't like a removable wall they literally like figured out they wanted they wanted open air they they did the work in advance to figure out like yeah we you know there's no supporting beams in there we could just knock this out and then we'll just rebuild it the next day <laughs> like that's crazy it's absolutely insane what they spend on these events
1: yeah, it's amazing though.
0: Uh and it and it shows the atten-
1: it's you know, it's just attention to detail. Yeah. And and no really why spare any ex- you know, I I mean, sure, spare some expense, but not you know, what's what's a couple what's $10,000 here or there yeah. when that's like selling 100 iPhones,
0: you yeah. know? Um speaking of iPad Pro, did you see the 100
1: t- No, sorry, that's like selling 10 iPhones. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> it's like selling eight of the fifteen hundred dollar ones yeah um did you see that uh adobe uh i mean it's sort of a poorly kept secret but that today at their adobe max conference they pre-announced uh photoshop for ipad
1: right which made me wonder is this something that they announced last time there was a major ios event or is this something that they will announce at the next major (laughs) ios event
0: I would, I would eat my, I'll eat my hat if they don't have Adobe on stage at this next event. Yeah. Um, and you know what? I was actually watching some of the Adobe max conference today live. They had a great live stream. Um, and Phil Schiller was on stage for a while. They really? called, yeah, which is, I, I can't remember the last time wow. somebody, somebody, uh, or Phil, I can't remember the last time Phil Schiller was at somebody else's conference, uh, I think it just goes to show how serious Apple is about wanting stuff like Photoshop for iPad, and the, it's funny because The Verge had a really great hands-on preview. They got you know they got to play with. It's it's not coming out till quote unquote 2019. So who knows if that means early 2019 or later 2019? I suspect that it might be a little later. I, I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't hold my breath for Photoshop for iPad in January because um, I, I, there's definitely some. It's not just that it's beta. It, there's there's some features that just aren't there yet. <laughs> like there's things you could, like you can tap on it, but it doesn't do anything. Um, but The Verge had a great hands-on, and they let their uh, like their production staffers use it and play with it for a while. And they had a great video today. I'll put it in the show notes um, with their first thoughts on it. But it, it, the thing that keeps coming up is both from Adobe and the people who are trying this pre-release version that it's quote unquote the real Photoshop. It's not just a, an image editing app that they've put the Photoshop brand name on. It it really is Photoshop that we know and love from the desktop uh, running on an iPad, which is kind of crazy. Which makes
1: you wonder why.
0: Why they're doing it? Yeah. I, I, that's a good question, and I I wonder about that. I I, I think it is a bet on you know, that this really is the future. And I think it is a really good form factor for a lot of the stuff people do in Photoshop. Um,
1: True. The, especially re you know, a retouching yeah. or,
0: well, the one guy for the drawing. Verge the one guy for the verge made a great point, just a fantastic point where he was like, uh, like, a, a, taking, he had like an image of a sword and he just wanted to, to get the background out just to cut a, cut out the sword. And he said, this is, you know, one of the things you can do here, you just don't think about it is in, you just rotate the iPad, you know, like as he goes around, you know, it's like the way when you're drawing on a piece of paper, you can just turn it upside down to do another mm. part. He's just turning it around upside down, turning it left, turning it right. Um, and it all, you know, that's something you can never do with a MacBook. Yeah. You know? Right. So I don't know. I, I, and I think, you know, a lot of the stuff with the pencil is, um, is obviously uniquely, you know, at least on the Apple platform is unique to the, to the iPad platform. Um, uh, and it looks to me, I mean, from watching the Adobe Max thing, that they're doing it at, at a really, really high refresh rate. Like they had a guy doing a demo with um, simulating oil paint. And it, it just, the way that he was like swirling two colors together, it 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 was really just stunning that it wasn't, it, it just looked like a photograph of, you know, like, like high def photograph of like a Bob Ross type guy using actual oil paint. But that's really where the secret, you know. I mean, like it's no good if the latent if there's latency there between the pencil and the thing. But it looks to me like they're doing it right. So I I would guess that's the reason why. I, I, you know,
1: yeah. Also, I guess in the era where you're, if you're a a creative professional, you're probably paying for a subscription to Adobe now. So it doesn't really matter. You know, the the idea that you're not buying a twenty dollar ipad version of the app you're subscribing to whatever the the yearly or monthly subscription is so at that point they should get you using it on every device you have and not just your one mac or something like that right we could do
0: a whole we could do a whole digression on software as a service and subscription versus buying and i know that there are people out there i i I know because i get email from them all the time i know that there are people listening to us who hate it who just who really 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 feel strongly that they want to give Adobe, you know, two hundred ninety nine dollars or whatever, and then they get to use Adobe Photoshop version X for as long as it runs on their computer, and then choose whether or not to upgrade when X plus 1.0 comes out. You know, um, and I you know, there's all sorts of pros and cons to subscription, but a, a certain a absolute pro is if you're already in, you're already paying you know the monthly fee for. The, the CC, the creative cloud. And then all of a sudden next year, at some point you just get Photoshop for iPad. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's totally. pretty, that's pretty sweet. Yep. Yeah. Now I'm going to watch, now I got to watch this video. It looks you know, cool. Yeah, it's, it really is cool. And it's, um, uh, I know at least one person is working on the team and, uh it, it, you know, it, it, it's the real deal. I mean, it's top, top flight talent at Adobe and, and it's the real it is the real photoshop they're not just saying it so that's very cool here why don't i take a break and uh, thank our first sponsor uh, keep the show moving our first sponsor is our good friends at casper uh casper products are they're, they're they're the sleep experts and their products are all cleverly designed to mimic human curves and they provide supportive comfort for all kinds of bodies. Everybody knows them for their mattresses, that's the main thing, that's, what they, that's how they got started. Look, you spend one third of your life sleeping. I spend well over a third of my life sleeping, but you should be comfortable. Why in the world would you not get a nice mattress? You spend an entire third, eight, eight nine hours, hopefully every single night you're sleeping. Why not get a great mattress? Um, look, they've got the original Casper, that's, that's their, their flagship mattress. It is, has multiple types of supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface. It's still the it's just a fantastic mattress. We have one here. Uh it's, it still feels like brand new. I mean we've we've had this mattress since whenever Casper first started sponsoring the show which was years ago and it's just like new. Like it it you you'd never know it was a couple years old. Um they've got great reviews. You can go to Amazon and and check out all the great reviews and how it is. Everything they make is all designed, developed and assembled right here. In the United States, and they have a wide variety of other sleep products now, like pillows and sheets and all sorts of stuff like that. We've got we're like all in on the Casper stuff. I love their pillow; it is absolutely fantastic. Uh, The sheets are good. It's all you know, all nice. Everything is nice. High high thread count. Everything you want. Check 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 them all off. And here's the deal: they have better prices than you get for a premium mattress at a mattress store because they cut out the middleman, and they sell directly to you. And they have hassle-free returns if you're not completely satisfied. You can be completely sure of your purchase because they have a 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. That's over three months. Buy it. Get it in the little adorable box that is seems ridiculously too small to have a mattress. Put it in your room. Follow the instructions. Open it up. Sleep on it for three months. And if you don't like it, They just come take it away, no questions asked, no hard sell. It's not like trying to cancel your cable subscription or something like that. They just come and take it. They've got free shipping and free returns in the US and for our northern friends, Canada too. Uh, We've got a couple of uh, Casper mattresses here in the house. We love them, they're great. And they have a special deal just for listeners of the show 50 bucks. You can say 50 bucks towards select mattresses. By visiting Casper dot com, C A S P E R dot com slash talkshow. Casper.com slash talk show. And remember that code talk show. No the just T A L K S H O W at checkout and you will save fifty bucks. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, all right, speaking of tablets, uh I don't know. We I got a couple of things to talk about this show, but uh, we could jump right into the uh the Google Pixel event. Yeah. Uh, Which I was going to go to, but I didn't, I did not. So I, uh, was going to go and timing wise, it didn't really work out that great for me. They had like, it was a Tuesday, last Tuesday was the keynote, but because they had it in a sort of like, it, it wasn't a very big venue. It seems like it wasn't a lot of seating in New York. Um, they had a full day of press stuff Wednesday too. Like where you could, I, so that's what I did. I went up on Wednesday, um, And it was, it was nice. It was a nice little, they they had a nice little setup. They had like sort of a big, huge, uh, I don't even want to call it a studio, but a big, huge open space there in New York. And then they set up a bunch of kiosks and a bunch of little fake rooms. They had a fake kitchen and a fake bedroom and a fake living room. And then in like groups of three, they were taking, you know, I, I got paired up with two other people from the media. And then we just sort of round robin, go from each station to the next and, and see everything. It was a nice way to do to do a hands-on thing. That's cool. Uh, and I watched the keynote on, on video. It was a typical Google keynote, way too long, way too many people. <laughs> I always say, it's so obvious. Like the one thing Apple does, and, and it, to me it would be like a canary in the coal mine if it ever started going the other way in terms of, well, you know, Apple's really going downhill is with like a company like Google, you can see the politics of the the internal politics of who gets on stage, you know, like it, it, it's like, well, we got to get somebody from this team up on stage. So here, let's find some reason for them to be on stage as opposed to just sort of telling a a story straight through about the products. I thought it could have been a much shorter event,
1: but the, uh, the tablet.
0: Yeah. So they have intrigues
1: you. A little bit. Uh, I just set up my, my Pixel XL, which we can talk about later. Yeah. But, yeah.
0: Well, the one thing, I'll say this in, favor, in, in Google's favor. I thought it was a very cohesive group of products to be announced. Three things. The, Google, the new Google Pixel 3 in two sizes, the brand-new Pixel Slate tablet-slash-keyboard cover, and their, their new uh, talk-to-it device with a screen called the Home Hub. And one, two, three, those are the three products they wanted to talk about. I thought that they fit together in in a you know a, a, an event very well um, The slate is interesting because it is their first chrome chrome os tablet like but it runs Android apps it, you know, and I know that they've been working on getting Android apps running in chrome OS for years now, and I kind of feel like. <laughs> I kind of feel like the whole. I kind of feel like the whole reason, maybe not the whole reason, but a, a big driving factor in that is to get it, you know, to for tablets. I think because I think it makes most sense there. I don't think using an Android app on a laptop makes all that much sense, but on a touch screen tablet type thing, maybe it does.
1: Right, unless they do something like the the new OS 10. Is it called Marzipan or not? What are we calling nah, it? Well, we oh. we
0: have to call it Marzipan so we can have something to call it. But Apple is definitely not calling it Marzipan publicly. Yeah. Uh, but we can call it Marzipan. Um, Got it. Yeah. I and, and my first thought when I picked it up is, man, this thing is way too heavy. This is too heavy. Uh, and then I did like on the train ride back to philly i did the I, I like looked up what the ipad pros weigh and it's actually only ever so slightly heavier than the 12.9 inch ipad pro the reason i thought it was heavy is i'm used to the 10.5 inch ipad and they only have one the pixel slate only comes in one size which is roughly equivalent to the 12.9 inch ipad pro so it actually isn't heavy compared to an ipad pro it just felt heavy to me at first it has a very nice screen uh they're touting it. I guess apples are all two hundred sixty four pixels per inch, and then the the Pixel Slate is like two hundred ninety five pixels per inch. So they're bragging about having the most pixels, but it's uh, most pixels per inch. But it looks good. Um, I'll say this: just tapping around though with the demo apps that they had, a lot of it is, they had like a text editor, like you know, sort of like a, a BB edit, you know, like a not like a, a word processor, but like a, a good old-fashioned plain text text editor um i forget what it was called and i i should have asked i wasn't sure if it, and i guess this is actually a good thing i i couldn't tell if it was a chrome app or an android app but the fonts were just tiny just like uh, i know i've my eyes i'm 45 and and kind of have crap eyes uh but i mean by anybody's standards this was like it, it was like the small print on a credit card application <laughs> you know what i mean like <laughs> Like when you're signing up for a new credit card, and there's like all this like tiny little small print, or or like the small print when you buy like a, a iPhone or something, and there's like here's yeah, here's, weird. here's the warranty. It was like it was like four point type, and I I don't know if it's configurable or not, but it seemed it was a weird thing to have on a demo machine, you know, like ready to go to tap on. Like this this does not seem thoughtfully designed. Uh, the other thing that really stuck out to me compared to an iPad, the big thing t- for me is that the the keyboard cover, that it has real keys and a trackpad. Uh, and, you know, I tried playing with it, like snapping it out of the case back in. And as soon as you snap it out, you know, there's like a little black arrow cursor for the trackpad. As soon as you disconnect it from the keyboard, the moment it's disconnected, the arrow cursor just goes away. And then as soon as you snap it back in and move the trackpad around, the arrow cursor shows up again. So it's all, you know... I would really like to see Apple do something like that with the iPad, even though uh, by, there's no indication that they are, because I find that one of the to me, one of the things that drives me nuts if I ever try to do like writing on an iPad is it text selection. Just poking around with my finger on the screen it seems so crude compared to what I could do with a trackpad, how precise I can move it and double click on words, and how my hand is already right there by the trackpad.
1: Yeah, unless you have a and I guess if you have a stylus if you if you're holding on to the the pencil thing but if you are you're probably not typing too. It's not super comfortable to hold that.
0: Yeah, but I don't think Al- you're typing. Al- Apple doesn't let you use the pencil to like move the insertion point around. It's like only really meant for drawing. Like it's mm. so it's it, there's really no good way to select text in my opinion on iOS period. Uh it, it's just it to me is is just a glaring hole in the iOS experience, especially in that when you have the whether it's the Apple smart keyboard cover or some any of the various third party keyboards you can get to use with an iPad. It, it It's like when you have it set up like a laptop using your iPad in a rough either very laptop like or roughly laptop like fashion, not having a a trackpad to me is just a huge it, it never I never get used to it. I mean, maybe I'm too Mac centric, but it's it certainly seems nice on the Chromebook.
1: It's yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the main reasons I have not like every time I do try to use a uh, an iPad Pro for text mod, you know, for editing basically or writing, I I immediately grab my MacBook and just go back to that. I think you're right. It, it, I don't think about it a lot, but the the text, the
0: cursor insertion
1: and just text selection is. Pretty bad.
0: Yeah. I and you know, it it's the surface, you know, there's I guess the, the you know, the battle for these tablets now is iPad the surf Microsoft Surface ones and now um you know this it's like a full reset like google is seemingly really backed away from android as anything other than a phone os and this this chrome os that runs android apps is their new tablet os and you know this is the first product like it you know uh, that ships with that that's their entry in this the other the other two microsoft and google all have trackpad support
1: oh wow all right well now we're on right yeah. it's on now yeah. Who, who'd you get the sense that they are building this for because 12 inch screen is is not a super portable tablet is this did you get a sense that this is a, a work device and not a
0: that's ever a on co- the house thing it's a good question uh i thought about that too um uh, and the other thing too is it it starts at 599 dollars, but it goes up to like $1,400, $1,500, depending, mostly dependent on, like, I think there's, you can either get it with like 64 or 128 gigabytes of storage, but then the CPU goes up too. And as you pay more for a better CPU, and it, this is a, an Intel device, it is not running an ARM chip, which is to me interesting. Weird. Yeah. Um, but it, 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 it you Are know, most
1: that, Chromebooks, uh, Intel, I,
0: Guess I I would huh? guess that they are. Uh, they're just.
1: <laughs> I should probably know. But, yeah, I,
0: I yeah. think that they are, but uh, I don't know. Uh, but this is, and you have a. You know, I don't know. I've dropped off. You know, I just don't pay attention to Intel's chips anymore. You know, I I when I buy a MacBook, you know, I just. <laughs> There just aren't that many options on the Apple side of things. But there's like eight different CPU configurations for the Pixel Slate and with very different prices. And they you get a little bit more RAM if you buy the more expensive ones too. So I I, I do wonder who's buying a fourteen hundred dollar Chrome OS tablet. I mean it's it's certainly not targeted at that low-end Chromebook market, you know, that is like dominating education, you know, where there's like hundred and ninety-nine dollar plastic laptops. It's definitely not that starting at five ninety nine I mean, I think this speaks to the bigger question you know if you zoom
1: out and look at Google's hardware strategy in general for for especially for the phones and it seems like this too you, you just kind of have to wonder why they're doing it the way they're doing it. I mean it basically seems like they're they're pushing for the super high end of the market they're trying to compete with and and in some cases seem to be know very successfully either at apple's level of of you know blending hardware and software or approaching it um they're they're clearly not going mass market with these things uh you know you can see that the pixels are not flying off the shelves they're not super successful commercially uh even though they are really nice devices so yeah i guess this kind of fits in with that strange strategy i forgot who maybe uh Maybe it was, I, I don't even want to misattribute this, but someone said like, maybe they're just being a troll by doing all this stuff like they'
0: I don't, <laughs> I don't think so. And I, there was a couple of pieces I didn't, I wanted to link to one. Maybe I'll get it by the end of this week. There was a piece somebody wrote, maybe at Bloomberg, kind of scoffing at the whole idea of Google doing phones and why are they even bothering? This is, you know, effectively like corporate masturbation because it's, it's, they're not selling enough of these to make any kind of dent in the market or dent in their bottom line. And I disagree with that. I, I I I well I I don't disagree that that it's a blip financially. Somebody did the math and figured out that Apple like Apple sells as many iPhones in eight days as Google sold pixel phones in an entire year. Uh I'm almost surprised that it's not even more lopsided than that. Uh, but I think that There's no other Android phones that are like the Pixel phones, in my opinion. I've described them a year or two ago. I I have a Pixel 1. I skipped the Pixel 2 generation, and I've already pre-ordered a Pixel 3. Um, Because I like to – You know, to me, it's the most interesting Android device. I've described it as an – it's an Android device for people who want Android, but they want an iPhone-like phone. Because to me, the rest of the Android, especially the the high-end market – has sort of gone in a very different direction. I mean, for all the the legal consternation between Apple and Samsung over the early Galaxy devices, you know, you know the 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 lawsuit that went on for 10 years over the you know, look and feel or whatever you want to call it. Um it, you know, and and remember there it, there was a moment where somebody held up uh, there was a Samsung expert witness on the stand and one of Apple's lawyers held up one of the phones and said, "Here, can you tell if this is an iPhone or the Galaxy Note three? <laughs> and the guy was like, "No, I can't." I can't. <laughs> it was seemingly a good moment, but I don't think that's like that anymore. There's no confusing a, Gal- a high-end Samsung Galaxy, you know, S nine or the Note, whatever they're up to. They they look very different. They have a very different design language. They have. It, it both software and hardware, they look different. Whereas the pixel phones, I'm not saying they're, they're iPhone ripoffs, but they're, they're definitely iPhone like. In, yeah. In, in it,
1: and, and very nice. Like I'm holding right. a pixel three XL and an iPhone 10 S max in two hands. And they're neither one of them is much obviously nicer than the other one. Like they're yeah. very, very nice devices. Uh, both have really, really impressive screens. And, I could, you know, I mean, to some extent, it probably is helpful for Google to be able to show their employees, like, hey, look at, we can actually make this really good stuff yeah. too, and you can own this and use Android
0: as intended. Yeah. Uh, on this device, yeah. The other thing they do, it, it, to me, the hardware is definitely iPhone like. I I wouldn't mind you running iOS on one of those devices, just in terms of how they feel. Yeah. They're, they're, they feel really nice in hand. They've always did, and especially they've really made it better in the last two years. Like my my Pixel One is okay, but there's things about it that I think were mistakes, like um, like the power button. They they like etched like a ridging on the side. And, mm. and it's just not pleasant. I think that because they put the volume button right below the power button, I, I, my, my guess is the thinking was, well, let's give the power button this ridged feel so you can tell, but it's like, you don't need that. You just know which one's up and which one's below, you know, and they've, they've gotten away from that. You know, that's, they just feel better now. Um but the other yeah. thing that they do with their phones, you said the displays are I think the displays are fantastic. They're they're but they're also to me very iPhone-like in terms of color reproduction. Like they're not super saturated, you know, like to me the Samsung phones and the LG phones all look uh, ridiculous. God, yeah, they yeah. look to me. I they're just not to my liking. It it would they're just so over the top oversaturated and it's you know, some people like that and I I've heard from, you know, like in China there's a lot of people who really really like that look. They like that it's not really a real realistic it's it's like hyper realistic the the pixel phones are like iphones to me in terms of having a natural sort of color landscape
1: yeah it it looks great the uh man the one thing that really is throwing me off though are the the missing gestures from ios like Hmm. not being able to swipe backwards and some of this stuff uh, you know i've had it set up for about half an hour so (laughs) i'll get used to it but or maybe not but uh it's super weird. However, th- I just discovered something very very smart which is you can I don't know how they do this, but you can squeeze the phone. Yeah. And it, and it activates their assistant, which is a really clever.
0: It, it seems like a gimmick, but when I played with it in their hands-on area, it works pretty well. It's a Well,
1: and they and they use haptic feedback to make it feel like you're actually squeezing the phone, which yeah. I don't I don't think I am. Like I hope right. it's not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> ben.
1: actually bending the phone but it really feels like i am which is right. cool oh, i am ag- I just hit i agree without reading the screen i don't know
0: what they're collecting on me now yeah well everything uh oh <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it's really yeah, I nice i so to me that it, you asked before who is the pixel slate for i'm i'm not entirely sure about that answer it's not for me because i i don't I, i'm not a big chrome user uh I, I guess if you're all in on Chrome though, and you want a tablet, this could be really nice. If you're um, like sort of living the Chrome OS lifestyle, I don't know. If you though.
1: live in Google Docs, it right. might be it might be a compelling device. I don't know.
0: Right, and it's you are, know,
1: a lot. By the way, like tens of thousands of people in Silicon Valley live in Google Docs all day. So, yeah, I I do see it.
0: You know, I have an iPad, I have a MacBook, and you know, I use them at different times for different things, and. But there are, I can see how it would be nice to reduce it to one device in some ways. Like, let's say, like, I'm a notorious tab lever opener, you know, I've at any given time, I've got like, six windows each with, you know, 20 tabs open in them. And if I've, you know, oh, I wanted to read that uh, that story that Dan wrote about whatever, and I know I've got it open in a tab, but I'm on the iPad. It's like you can get it out of iCloud, but it's like I don't remember which device it was on sometimes, and I don't know where to look for it. Whereas if it's one less device, it'll, you know, the the tab I have open with the article I've halfway read is is right there, even once I've detached it from the keyboard and I'm just sitting on the couch at night. So I can see that, but. I don't know. But with the phones, I definitely see who the market is. And the thing that the thing that really strikes me about the Pixel owners, and it just hit me this year, is I think in some ways the Pixel the Pixel aficionados right now, Pixel phone aficionados, remind me a lot of being a Mac user in like the late nineties. Mm. So, you know, and that was the era when uh you know, there were all sorts of – same thing, the same argument like, hey, why does Google even bother making these things? Their market share is so low. It's all irrelevant. They should just give up because their market share is so low. That's everything I, everybody said about Apple in 1995, right, that they should give it up. You know, uh, Michael Dell said, uh, you know, what he, what would he do if he ran Apple? He'd uh, liquidate the company and give the money back to right. the shareholders. Um, but if you – if you like me were a Mac user in the late nineties and you really were passionate about the things that the Mac still did, even at the, at a, you know, at, at a technical level, when the OS was really behind the times at a user interface level, they were, they never lost that lead. And, and it was always a nicer user experience. Um, you know the word beleaguered was always thrown around, but that's sort of what we felt like. And I was never a big, you know, like remember people would spell Windows W I N D O Z E and right, right, and stuff like that, and get in. You know, every single Usenet group, what whatever it was, it could be about like the weather. You know, like alt dot Philadelphia dot weather. Eventually, it's going to break into a Windows versus Mac flame war. Like, there was, there was no news group. Hey, those were fun, though. <laughs> there was no news group that didn't eventually break into a Windows versus DOS flame war, whether it was computer related or not. Probably the computer groups were the least likely <laughs> because everybody had gotten it out of their system. Um, but I, I just see it like on Twitter when I see the, the Pixel people like touting like their their – you know photo advantages and stuff like that like i see that passion and i see their frustration that it's not more popular right that they're they're like it just seems like google should be selling more pixels than they are because it really is a a very compelling device and software experience it just doesn't seem right that it's that it's not more popular and I that's that's a
1: really good analogy i think
0: Mac users had that frustration for a long time. They really did, and I see it. You know, I mean, there was a lot of reviews. I can't speak to it because I don't have a Pixel Two. I'm getting the Pixel Three soon, but there's you know a bunch of reviews like Neilai and a few others all you know said like that the Pixel Two from last year was still a better still camera than the iPhone XS. Um, so who knows how good the Pixel Three is?
1: Yeah, I haven't had a chance to test it, but it seems to be great. I mean, the, the fact that they're even in the same sentence is yeah. is astounding. So. Yeah. That's, you know, whether it's 10% better or worse or, you know, even more than that. uh, That's pretty, pretty remarkable considering much like Apple, Google did not have much of a hardware or sorry, did not have much of a a
0: camera and smartphone background before they just started. So, yeah, Um, there's a couple of features I wrote. I wrote about it briefly on Daring Fireball, but there's a couple of features in the Pixel three and it's a little confusing what's. What's Pixel 3 specific and what is going to ship in a software update for existing Pixel 1 and Pixel 2 owners later this year? There's a bunch of features they talked about at the event. Some of them are specific to the Pixel 3, and some of them are coming to supposedly coming to older Pixels later. But almost like, who cares? Um, but the one feature that really blew me away is the one they're calling Top Shot, which is like... You you don't have to go to a special mode. It's just, I guess you can turn it off. I don't see why you would, though, because it seems great. You take a photo, and it keeps a couple of frames from before you tap the shutter button, and it takes a couple of extra frames after you hit the shutter button, and it shoots video in between as well. So it might take, let's say, five stills. Uh, at the full resolution with all of the, everything, you know, they're, they're all, they get the same HDR processing, everything you, you'd want. And then in between those, there's video. And so the, if you, if you take one of the video frames, you're going to get less resolution, you know, and it's not quite as good of a photo, but the idea is uh like, let's say you're shooting a sporting event or, or, you know. And a whale is jump. You're on a boat and a whale jumps out of the water and you take a photo the the absolute best image that you get might be one of those video frames, even though it's a slightly lower resolution, uh, image, it might be the one you want to keep because it's the perfect moment, right? It's that perfect fraction of a sentence or, or second when the moment was just perfect. Um, but it, it in practice, it really seems to work. I, I Again, I, this is something I don't have a pixel in hand yet, but I, so I only got to do it during the hands-on area. But what they did is they gave us each a pixel to walk around with. And while they were explaining the feature to me, I took a picture of the, the woman from Google Product Marketing who was telling me about it. And I swear, as I took the picture, I actually caught her at a bad moment when she was looking down and her eyes were closed. And... As she's telling me about the top shot picture, I took a picture of her. It was a bad, a very unflattering photo because her eyes were closed and she's looking down. And it immediately says, would you prefer to use this one? And it, it went back like half a second and she looked perfect. And she's looking right at me. It, 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 it's like I got I, I gave myself the perfect demo of the feature. And so when you take a good photo and Google thinks it's a good photo, it doesn't even ask you. It, like, only is when it recognizes something like, hey, there's a subject here with her eyes closed. We should let's, let's see if we can suggest something better. And it happens instantaneously. It happens right after you snap the shutter button.
1: That's cool. It, you can do that manually with live photos. But, right. Well, but the, uh, and then scrub it a little right, bit. But right. The, so it's, the fact that this, no-
0: this is, like, proactively recommending to you, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And it really does. Again, I shot like five, you know, five minutes worth of photos, but it really does seem to only suggest it to you when the photo really was taken at the wrong moment and doesn't bother you when you've taken a fine photo right away. So it doesn't annoy you needlessly. And when it does interrupt it, it's right. That's pretty cool. Um, what was the other feature that I liked? Uh,
1: I love how both of these, com- both Google and Apple, though, are using software to make photos. You know what, fifty to one hundred times better than just hardware alone would make. Oh, them.
0: absolutely! Yeah, it's and it's great that they're pushing each other. You know, and and there's you know, I'm not saying that Google's ahead in every single regard, but it's it's great though that somebody else is uh, is doing similar type things. And I know Samsung has some AI features too. Everybody's sort of doing it, but. It seems to me like Google and Apple are ahead ahead of everybody else here in different ways.
1: And, and who's not doing it are the camera companies. Like I, right. I, I almost never, you know, I, I, I still love the the photo that will come out from my Fuji more than, you know, it just feels like I'm taking a photo in a way that an iPhone photo still does not. But <laughs> when you when you do it side by side, you know, a lot of times the, the iPhone photo actually does look better.
0: Yeah. Um. Another cool feature they have—I guess it's not a camera feature, but it's the—did you see the um, the call screening feature?
1: I did. Yeah, that was cool.
0: That is really—it's very googly. It's very googly, and it really—you know—and they did again. They they demoed it exactly the right way, where there was like a Google employee up in a. a You know, like in a different room who called us (laughs) and we got a real phone call in an unmarked
1: Uh, uh, restaurant in uh, (laughs) in Silicon Valley. Well, it was the complete
0: opposite of Duplex, you know, because it was a real demo of a real feature and super useful. And it's like they said, I mean, they even acknowledged, you know, that, that, you know, the the, the spam phone calls are worse than ever. You know, I, I get them all the time. So it would. I would love to have that feature on iOS. And it just makes so much sense that, like, it just takes, you know, that for all these years, I mean, going back before iPhone, going back to, like, you know, the original cell phones where they had a green button and a red button, there have always been two buttons for when a phone call comes in, take it or don't take it. And now there's this third option where it's like, okay phone you talk to this jerk see who it is <laughs> right and if it turns out it's somebody you know if it's like you know your accountant is calling you or, or somebody you know is calling from a weird number you can see it on the transcript and then just jump right into the call and be like oh okay I didn't know who it was it's a very very cool feature and like you said very very googly um, what else So, what do you have both phones as
1: a review unit I do yeah I've only done the big one, so I've uh, not uh, taken out the. I just I just picked them up today, so I have not.
0: I will say I think it's a little. I think it's a little weird, and it is a little. It, it, it they've gone the wrong way. Like one of my very very favorite things about the iPhone XS is that the XS and the XS Max are the only difference is the size. That the cameras are exactly the same. The CPU is exactly the same. They have the same amount of RAM. It's just you want a bigger one, you know? So the display is bigger and the battery is bigger because the, you know, because it's more room for a bigger battery. But that's it. Um, they look the same, you know? And I, I just think, anyway, this is my way of saying it. I can't believe they put a big, ugly notch on the one and not the other.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't seem to, I'm I, maybe I'm not finding it, but there does not seem to be the. Face ID type
0: thing? No, they this? don't. No, there is no Face ID type thing. It's it's uh. only there to have the two cameras. Because so the the other weird thing, I'm not weird, but but certainly different from Apple. I'll just say different is that in, they still only have one camera on the back as the main camera, but now they have two cameras on the front. One of which is like a normal focal length selfie camera, and now they have this super wide angle, almost fisheye uh, selfie camera to get a wider field of view. Um, Oh, weird. (laughs) I can see my whole
1: apartment in one. Right.
0: (laughs) Right. So you zoom, it's like you, you go to the selfie camera and then you can zoom the other way instead of like zooming in like a telephoto, you zoom out and it's super wide in there. It seems interesting, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't know know
1: what I would use this all the time. (laughs) Yeah. As someone who has an embarrassing number of selfies, I would probably (laughs) use this all the time. That's cool. All no. right. But it looks I mean it actually looks kind of like a person looking back at you cuz there's two. Yeah. It looks like a smiling creature of some sort. But yeah, I was surprised there's no Face
0: ID type thing. No. No, which it's am a...
1: now I'm now hooked on like this yeah. fingerprint thing like get rid of it.
0: Yeah, it's <laughs> I I don't know. I know that there are all sorts of people out there who have mixed feelings about Face ID versus Touch ID and who are should not be holding their breath for it, but are secretly hoping that Apple is working on uh, touch ID under the glass. Like uh, I'm telling you, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think. No. Uh, And I I, I actually think who knows, I could be wrong that it, maybe it would work well in addition to face ID, but I sort of feel like there's an advantage to only having one biometric ID, you know, that you don't have to, Choose between fingerprint and face ID. It's like if you've got the new phone, you want you use face ID, and if you have an older phone, you use touch ID. Um,
1: I agree with you, though. They definitely lose style points for having the notch on one of them, but not the other. Yeah, ninety nine point nine percent of people will never have both of them. No, at any point. So, and nor nor is this like iOS where they dictate how every phone looks. Like, yeah, you know. <laughs> And the whole point of Android is that it works on,
0: you know, a hundred thousand different phones. Right. So it it's a weird looking notch too, though. It is. It's a it's the biggest notch I've ever seen. It, it's a deep notch. It's a deep notch, and I know it's you know it's been amusing to watch like the the larger Android, fandroid you know world of people, are very down on this notch. You know, to their credit, you know that they're being honest. You know, they're not just oh I love. Pixel phone, so I'm going to say this notch is the best notch. No, instead, the consensus seems to be that this, not, this notch is hideous. It's just you know un, what? It's just so, ungainly. Yeah, it's not bothering me at all. Well,
1: it, it is kind of weird, but
0: I don't know. It's I, fine. I still don't <laughs> like the notch on the iPhone 10. I, 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 you know, I am used to it though. I I, yeah, I, I don't
1: even, it. I don't even see it anymore. Right,
0: but you know, it, it just is weird that the two phones have different, you know. Foreheads, because the one has a regular forehead, and the other one are has a notch. Are you back to the normal ten size now? Yes, I've, I've, I, I, I This is a weird thing. Is I know that when you put the ten Max next to like a previous Plus phone, like an iPhone eight Plus or seven Plus, whatever, they're almost exactly the same size. It's, it's like less than I think it's like a millimeter. The the iPhone ten Max is is like a millimeter smaller in each dimension or something like that. It's very, very similar, but for some reason it looks and feels smaller in my hand than the plus size phones did. I I think it's just like an optical illusion created by the fact that, that it has so much greater screen to body area ratio. It, it somehow feels smaller. So I never liked the plus size phones at all. and never was tempted to buy a, a six plus or seven plus or any of those. Uh, even though it always bothered me that they had slightly better cameras you know with optical image stabilization and and a few features that the smaller one didn't have, it just the the tens max was actually somewhat tempting to me it It was the first time Apple made a larger phone that it, I was like, "hmm maybe, and there were times when I was testing it when I forgot which one I had. I was like, "Wait, is this the bigger one or the smaller one?" But I did end up buying this smaller one
1: yeah i haven't i'm I'm still in the review unit stage i i was a plus guy for the three years or whatever it was during that era and now i'm testing out this max and boy that screen is gorgeous and the to me the most underappreciated thing about the bigger phones is that typing is much more accurate because the keys are wider yeah but I'm not really using the whole screen for anything. Yeah. Um, like I, I still find myself reading in the top kind of third of the screen almost or top yeah. fourth of it. And this thing just feels big in your pocket, you know. Um, yeah. Although having the new Apple Watch Series 4 makes it kind of a different game because the – and we can talk about the, the new watch for a bit. I mean it is it is a really damn good device. Like it, it feels like a – computer on your wrist now in a way that it just did not previously and i would say that's 80 percent just speed like you it it actually responds to your clicks and and doesn't get caught up in you know a series of of commands um but the software is starting to get really good too i I mean especially the watch face like that well
0: hold that though let's let's save it for a different section um I got the feeling at the press thing, and I feel like I'm clearly in the minority. I don't know, like I, and it's the sort of thing Apple doesn't like to talk about. They'll give unit sales for iPhones, but they don't like to break it down by model. I would love to know what percentage of people are buying the regular 10s and what are buying who are buying the 10s Max. I really don't even know how to guess how that's going, but at least among the enthusiast crowd, like the sort of people who go to Google a Google press event. To see the new phones, Uh, the the bigger size is clearly the more popular. It's like because and you know it's a funny thing. Because like you go to the Apple event and almost everybody's carrying an iPhone around. Like at the Google thing, most of the press who I was there looking around with uh, were carrying Pixels, you know, because they're sort of Google, you know, it's, it's going to draw Google oriented members of the media. Totally. But it really looked to me just doing a quick eyeball survey that almost all of them had the Pixel 2 Plus or whatever. They, what do they call the big one? Plus?
1: Uh, uh, XL. Excel, XL, yeah. yeah.
0: Pixel 2 XL. Uh, whereas I liked the smaller one better for sure. But it is weird. It does look a little dated because it has a forehead and a chin. I mean, here I am knocking the notch on the other one, but yeah. And it seems it—it's just one of those things that Apple Apple does better than anybody. But you know, and, and Google as sort of hardware being not their forte. The fact that even the the one with the notch still has the chin down below at the bottom. Uh, it just is. It, it it's not a premium look.
1: Yeah, you wonder why they kept it you know whether they had to or they chose to
0: yeah i don't know it does, I, it does I think, feel last year i think they had to i, I think that, that it, it was it's technically super super hard to go edge to edge um even though they're oled which makes it easier and not lcd but um uh, it, it, everything i've heard from people at apple is that getting these things you know doing getting the iphone 10 and 10s to do it you know to get as close to corner to corner as they are is technically very hard and then the the 10r which we can you know get to is even harder because it's an lcd screen not an oled um it just looks weird it, it just is sort of a weird look for the pixels in my opinion I also thought that they were a lot lighter. I don't know what they what they weigh compared to a 10s, but I don't mind how much the 10s weighs. But it is true. I mean, steel weighs more than aluminum, so it's <laughs> it is it is a heavier device. I feel like the Pixels really compare better to the 10R because they're they're more just off the top of my head. They're both glass on the front, glass on the back, aluminum on the sides, and then a single camera on the back. Right, so it's sort of the the 10R is the one and, and you know and the starting price is around the same around 750-800. It's like the 10S is sort of a different class device than even the best pixel.
1: It's true we're entering a 10R world. I need to recalibrate all my analysis now.
0: Yeah. I can't wait to find out more about it. Like the 10R was is sort of uh it's like they announced it and it was interesting and you know it was kind of rumored and here it is and it's this you know it's just so strange in so many ways because it's like it's not the same size as the 10s or the 10s max it's in between <laughs> it's one size and it's in between which is a weird third size and it only has one camera but it's the same great camera you know the that the 10s has uh and it comes in a bunch of fun colors which Apple hasn't done with an iPhone since all the way back at the 5c, you know. It's different in so many ways and I kind of feel and I just feel like uh, most people feel like 800 bucks is already a ton of money to spend on a phone. And so I just can't help but think that the 10r is going to be an incredible seller, you know, cuz it has the look and it has the performance of an iPhone 10 and you know, saving 250 bucks for a you know, primarily missing out on a two X telephoto camera that I'm guessing a lot of people never use. It's you know seems like it seems like a lot of people are going to go into the Apple Store and be like, why would I even think about buying the more expensive one?
1: Yeah, it, that's going to be really interesting because w- once you divide it into the monthly payments, it's not as drastic a dollar difference. But because right. no, you know, very few people are actually buying the phone outright. Uh, but even on a monthly basis,
0: it's probably, I don't know what, 10, 20 bucks cheaper a month. So maybe, yeah, um, I don't know. and I just don't think typical people are going to see the difference. I mean, I, I, not like they wouldn't be able to tell them apart. I mean, certainly the colors tell you that, you know, but I really don't think that a typical person would look at an iPhone 10 S and 10 R side by side and think uh, that the 10 S is uh, that much better, you know? especially
1: inside if you're if you're outside i you know not i don't i would never want to not have well i don't know i haven't tried the 10r outside maybe it's amazing um but that you you can tell uh oled outside in a way that
0: yeah
1: lcd just was not as good before
0: yeah and, you know, I mean, it's, you see it when you play games and watch movies or something like that too, where OLED has these richer blacks, but I, to tell you the truth, I don't really watch movies on my phone. I mean, it's, no. I either watch on TV or if I am on an airplane or something, I want a bigger screen than the phone. So, you know, I, I kind of miss out on that. Um, do you
1: think this new, what is it? Liquid retina? Do you think that's what they're going to call the iPad pro? I wonder, too? that's a
0: good, that's a good question. I, I guess I would guess so. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it's the exact same technology. Uh, I do have another theory, by the way, because the other feature that's missing from the 10R is 3D Touch, and it has been widely reported. Ever, you know, and this was one of those things that Ming Chi Kuo had, you know, leaked a report back in February or something. So it's a long time ago. It came out that Apple's inch mystery phone was going to lack 3d touch and it's all been reported as like a cost saving measure because this is the lower cost new iphone but it's not really a lower cost new iphone it starts at eight hundred dollars or 750 bucks like that that's the normal price for a new flagship iphone like the the 10s and the iphone 10 it created a new super tier above the normal price and, you know, like when they first introduced, I just looked it up last night for the show, actually. But the 3D Touch debuted with the iPhone 6S. And that was a phone that started at like 699 That was the entry-level price back then for the 6S. And they all had 3D Touch. So it's not cost, per se. You know, if, if a 699 phone four years ago could have 3D Touch, then cost-wise, surely the $750 10 R could have 3d touch. I think it's a technical problem that, that whatever shenanigans and, and technical wizardry, they had to pull to get an LCD screen that comes as close to corner to corner as they did. I mean, the whole Mm -hmm. reason that LCDs have always had foreheads and chin is, is for the backlighting stuff. Um, I think that whatever they had to do to get the, they they sacrifice 3D touch to get it to look like an iPhone X that goes corner to corner, and I'm betting that it's an engineering problem, not a cost problem. And if it saves seven bucks per phone, I'm sure that makes t- yeah, t- Tim Cook happy too. But it is weird for the product experience, though, that the, that they work in different ways for stuff like turning on the flashlight and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, that was one of the things I just noticed on this Pixel too is not not having because. Uh, You know, I basically only use it for cursor movement, moving the cursor, but that alone to me pays for the feature. So not having it. All right, this might blow your mind though.
0: This might blow your mind. Did you know, I think it's an iOS 12 feature. I don't think it was there in iOS 11, but Apple has added. And I think it was specifically with iPads and the 10 r in mind. You can now get that cursor move around feature on a non 3d touch iOS device by holding down on the space bar. Hold down on the space bar for a little bit, and then you get the same thing. Oh, okay. So you can buy a 10R, and you still you don't miss out on the, you know. Oh yeah, look at
1: that! Wow. And
0: and for those of you listening who don't know what I'm talking about, it because I one time a couple episodes, like six months ago, I mentioned this, and I got so much email from people saying, "Oh, holy shit, that's the greatest tip ever!" I didn't. I had no idea. Is that on a on a modern iPhone with 3D Touch when you're typing? It, this actually gets to the point we were talking about earlier with the trackpad support, where you can 3D touch anywhere on the keyboard, and it turns the keyboard into a trackpad where you can move the insertion point around whatever text it is you're editing. And if you touch again while you're moving it, it'll select text. Um, it's it's once you know to do it, it is a truly. I I I, I know it's a cliche, but it's a game changing feature. Uh, you can do it now on non-3D Touch iOS devices by holding down on the spacebar for a fraction of a second, and it's a fantastic feature. Uh, All before- right, well, there you go. We've just paid for the... Yep. Before we go on, I wanted here's, here's the other feature I wanted to mention with the pixel cameras and it seems very cool it's called motion autofocus focus so you compose your shot and you tap and hold on like the, the subject let's say it's a dog or or somebody's up somebody at, at Google actually went to a concert the night before and and shot uh it was a great little video or uh, really cool but you can like tap on a on the subject and then once you tap on it if the subject moves around the the focus stays on that person as they move around using, you know, artificial intelligence to identify what it is. So it for a moving subject, it's absolutely it seems absolutely amazing. And once you see it, you think, oh, my God, every camera should have this. And again, like you said, where it's Google and Apple who are inventing these things and the camera companies seem to be just leaving, leaving, leaving all this stuff on the table.
1: Yeah, this is exactly what I need on my
0: Fuji, so... Right. (laughs) Cool. All right. Great. Fuji's probably the closest. In my opinion, I'm not... I can't say I'm a camera expert, but I think Fuji of the major camera companies is the company that seems to me to be most taking seriously the world of computational photography. Uh, Maybe I'm biased because I have a Fuji X100S, which is now a couple years old. I'm sure the newest ones do even more, but it just seems to me like Fuji is doing more... uh, more more confidently moving towards the world of computational photography and whereas like canon and nikon to me still seem to be treating digital sensors as like it's like a 35 millimeter strip of film
1: i have i i guess i'm looking in the wrong spots then i need to (laughs) i need to do some more research on that because it it, uh, you know i i buy fuji for the glass and for the uh you know for the look and feel of the camera and also right. the amazing image quality i have not noticed much of the computational well photography, i think but i will I, have to do some reading on it now
0: i think compared to compared to google and apple they're still light years behind yeah you know it's just the the motion this motion focus tracking is just mind-blowing but no, once you, it you sounds see it amazing it, it it's very cool you can do it you don't even have to be a person like like somebody uh at the Hands-on area last week just did it like showed their watch and then it like moved their hand around the frame and as they move the hand around the frame the little white square stays on the watch. It's really cool.
1: I mean, and the best part of all this, it just seems intuitive. Like this is how photography should work. Um, you know, I- ignoring all of the technical constraints of the actual process of of using sensors to yeah. take a digital image. Like, you know, even the simplest thing of being able to zoom by pinching on the viewfinder screen on an yeah. iPhone. Like, yeah, duh, of course, yeah. that's how a photo feature should work,
0: so. Yeah. What else is Google doing there? They had a cool feature, I don't know how well this works, I mean, because they obviously knew, they, they had like a pair of Nikes, and you point, I think it's a different mode you put the camera in, but you put it like in ID mode show it, show the Nikes. And then it immediately says, Oh, these are the Nike Air Max, whatever, whatever I, I have to, you know, I'm in ba- I hope panzerino doesn't listen to this, but <laughs> you know, whatever model of Nike, this is, you know, it tells you exactly what model it is and gives you options for where you could go buy them right now and stuff like that. I, I, I how widely that works with, you know, all brands of shoes and shirts and whatever else you might identify who knows, but apparently it works great with like movie posters. So you pointed at a movie movie poster oh, cool. and tells you everything you want to know about that movie. It's, it's a pretty cool feature. All right, let me take another break here. Thank our next sponsor. And it's our good friends at Squarespace. Look, Squarespace makes building a new website as easy as it can possibly be. I honestly can't even fathom how you could get a custom made custom design website that you have complete control over in a way that is like less busy work, less uh, fiddling, less tedium. Than Squarespace. And it really is soup to nuts. Everything from registering domain names, picking templates, adjusting the look and feel, actually being a CMS. So like if you're one of the features on your site is a blog, or if you want to host a podcast on your Squarespace site, you enter, you know, you actually, you know, the, the CMS for making a new episode or making a new blog post, all of that is right there in Squarespace. All of it is right there. Um, it really is just a fantastic service. They've been sponsoring this podcast for as long as I can remember, and people keep signing up, and that's why they keep coming back as a sponsor, but it, it really is great. I say it all the time, that the next time you have to make a website, or even more importantly, if somebody, your friend or family, somebody comes to you and they don't know jack about making websites, and they know you do, and they come to you for help, get them started on Squarespace and it'll get them out of your hair. (laughs) And then it'll be, everybody will be happier. You'll be happier because you're not building a website for them as a favor. They'll be happier because they're going to get a terrific website and they're going to have control over it. And if they need help, they can get help from Squarespace. They don't have to go to you. Uh, It really is a fantastic service. And it just, you just cannot believe if you ever start doing view source on various websites, you just wouldn't believe how many websites on a daily basis you use that are Squarespace sites. Uh Every time you see like a new website from like a cool new restaurant or something like that, if you do view source i 'll bet it 's a squarespace site because you know what like if you 're opening a website, you know what you don 't want to do you don 't want to screw around and waste weeks building a website and you don 't want to spend a fortune hiring somebody to for tens of thousands of dollars to build one. You just want to get your brand out there, get your menu up, tell people where the hours are. You could do it yourself on Squarespace. It really is super easy for non technical users non designers even to build a really great looking website, uh, that works great, super fast, everything you'd want, Uh, you know, responsive designs looks good on everything from phones to a giant iMac. Um, it's really great. So check them out next time you need a website or somebody, you know, needs a website. And, uh, if you sign up for a year, you get a free domain name registration. So start your trial today. You get a free trial, by the way, that's the other thing you can build it and use it. Uh, for a while like 30 days and you don't have to pay a dime when you do pay go to squarespace.com slash talk show just squarespace.com slash talk show and remember that code talk show the and you will save 10% off your first purchase so you could save 10% on that whole first year save 10% and get the free domain name that's squarespace.com slash talk show
1: kind of want to start uh Bribing and/or
0: forcing all restaurants to just move over to Squarespace. I, I if when they when there is a bad website for a restaurant, I, I think the exact same thing. I, I <laughs> it's
1: like half an hour out of my day just to find the menu or the reservation link
0: or whatever. Right. <laughs> uh <laughs> flash still uh it's, it's i feel like restaurants always had they were always flash they've, i would say there was no industry in the world that was more likely to have a flash player website than re- restaurants i feel like they've gotten their act together in recent years i feel especially in new places at least here in philly it seems like a lot of new places have pretty good websites now. well it's because if you view
1: source they're pretty much all squarespace now mm-hmm. There's, there are a couple other tools
0: that exist but they're not as good None. so uh and you know and i also feel like webs- <laughs> websites websites it was like you could just do like a talk at like a web design conference about how bad web websites for restaurants were people want the exact same thing for every time they go to 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 a website for a restaurant they want like three things they want to see the menu <laughs> they want to know the hours <laughs> and they want to know how do you make a reservation you know, it's, it's it that and usually now it's open table, but just give put them, put a big button there so they can tap it and shoot them right over to open table to make the reservation. But that's all people want, and websites used to hide all of those all of those things. Like, how could you have a restaurant and not put the menu up? That's what people want to know: is there something here to eat that looks good to me? Yeah, uh, it's right. nuts. All right. Uh, the Home Hub. That's the last thing from Google that I didn't talk about. It's, it's like a little, uh, you know, they've got a whole bunch of these, you know, the, their little speaker type things. And this one has a screen.
1: Uh, I kind of think of these things with these screen speakers. Amazon has one. You know, we, well, we and don't one, need to get into detail about yeah. Facebook's, but.
0: One of the things they mentioned very, very uh, prominently was that they deliberately did not put a camera in this device. And I thought that's pretty interesting coming from Google, you know, who, who, you know, you could see Apple bragging about making a thing without a camera for privacy sake. But, uh, I, I thought it was pretty interesting that Google did, um, uh, I don't know about these things with the screen. I guess I kind of get it. I think that the home hub though, is it is too small. Is my that's my take because it's sort of like this. I don't know what the diagonal measurement of the screen is, but it's sort of like either a very very small tablet, even smaller than an iPad Mini, or like the world's biggest phone, like the biggest phablet (laughs) ever made. But if you're going to have it in your kitchen and it has a screen, I feel like people want to use that as a TV at some point. They want to watch video. And, you know, they own YouTube and they definitely mentioned YouTube in terms of like, hey, you know, you can talk to the thing and get it to show YouTube videos. But I feel like it's too small of a screen in a kitchen to be that. I feel like you want something more like the size of a regular iPad as a minimum. And then the other area where they showed it off was like as a bedside table dingus. And I don't feel like that makes any sense at all because everybody charges their phone next to their bed so they don't need... A device that size and in fact google even came out with their own little chi charging pad uh stand that stands your iphone up so it can serve as a, a bedside clock slash picture viewer so I, I i don't i don't get the home hub I, I get the idea of having a screen on these talking devices but i feel like if you're gonna have a screen you want it to be at least like 10 inches at least for use in a kitchen i i just feel like this one is too small
1: yeah yeah, that's a good point. I, I've watched many uh, '90s Cubs games on a four-inch tube TV in my kitchen, but yeah, that's that that, you don't have to do that anymore. You can. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I watch I watch my iPad a lot when I do watch video. It's often in the kitchen because we only yeah. have one, we only have one TV, and so I'll, I'll often watch baseball games uh, on the iPad and i just can't imagine doing it on a smaller screen than a 9.7 inch ipad like it's nice for me and it's it's certainly at at 9.7 inches it isn't something that you would be it wouldn't be great for a communal viewing right like it's sort of personal it's like the nice like a nice size for you to watch one thing you wouldn't really want to have like a group of four people staring at an ipad but
1: yeah, and it's ambient, like especially these kitchen things. I, I'm kind of interested in these. I don't own any of them, but like in the Facebook one is, you know, its own kind of can of worms. But uh, which does have camera that will track you around if you want to do video conferencing on it. Um, I think the idea of having kind of a purpose-built device that's just on in the kitchen—you uh, don't have to go find the iPad. You don't have to. You don't have to. You know, yeah. you, you don't maybe don't have your phone with you. I think it's interesting, especially for kind of ambient TV, like a like a sports game where you're going to ignore seventy five percent of it, but then maybe you know lean over and watch the right. at bat or the you know the right. the, the field goal. Uh, but for looking up recipes or playing playing music or whatever, uh, it's it's an interesting genre to me. I I don't I, I haven't spent my own money on any of them. I don't I don't know if I will. Um, it, to me, it's like okay, I have an old iPad that does a lot of that already uh but i can see why amazon and google and facebook are are making them it's it's certainly you know and they don't have to be the thinnest thing imaginable they don't have to in many cases they're plugged into the wall so they don't even have to have a a good battery life uh so it's i don't know it's kind of interesting it you know it kind of serves the purpose that the home pc may have once had like the living room yeah, computer yeah. where the family can each check their email or yeah. or do thing. you're not going to do your homework on it but right
0: no uh, and, and the interface is interesting exactly along the lines you're talking where instead of being i don't even know what os it's running i don't know if it's running if if it's android under the hood i guess i should have asked that's a question i guess i could have asked i i, I guess it might be android but it it's not android like it's not like a phone, you know, there's no home button and a screen full of apps and text that is meant to be held 18 inches from your eyes. Everything on it is, is big. You know, the text is big and it's, it's, you know, in a way, even an iPad is still sort of, it can't, it can't do everything. It can't be, you know, you can't have an interface that works both 18 inches in front of your face and five feet away. Right. Right. And, and so for things like cooking instructions and stuff like that, the text is comically large compared to a phone, but it actually seems exactly right for something that might be well over an arm's reach away while you're making whatever it is you're making. I just feel like it should be, it should be bigger, I think. I don't know, though.
1: I just don't know if, if like this is the device that people all of a sudden decide they, they love and, and need. But yeah. I, I probably would have said that about the first Echo devices too, and, and the smart speakers, and right. here we are, and everyone has one now. So, and yeah. I use mine every day.
0: Um, yeah, I, you know, that's funny. I, I, I it's a digression, I guess, but we have, um, like smart shades. Um, ooh, ooh, I need those. Oh, it's they're great. Um, yeah, they're from Lutron, and they're super quiet, and for a, a long time. We, to, you know, we have buttons that, you know, little remotes that, that control them and they're, they're okay, but it's, it's really better when, when you issue voice commands and you can raise all of them like on our main living floor all at once. Um, but we had it for a long time where we had the only, the only integration that, that, that ours supported was Amazon. So we had to do it through the echo and, um, You had to give these exact commands. like So to open the kitchen shades, it was, uh, hey, dingus, turn on kitchen shades up. So the name of the scene was kitchen shades up. And to make it happen, you had to say turn on. So grammatically, that's a mess. Turn on kitchen shades up and then turn on kitchen shades down. And and there was also this weird rule. And again, I, I'm not blaming Amazon. It might have been Lutron who, who whose fault it was. And maybe with other things, it, it would be better with Amazon. But not only that, but you in your scene names, you couldn't use the words on and off. It was, <laughs> uh, and it's just it's it was, uh, and it's so much time. So we got it. We got it. We got like the base station for the Lutron thing. It's just. Looks like a little like Wi-Fi router, um, uh, but we got that swapped out with one that's HomeKit compatible. And I like doing this stuff through Siri so much better. And I know that you know all sorts of people think Siri is garbage and Alexa is so much better. But you can in the Home app, you can like it's so much easier to a it's way easier to program like and to adjust it and you can give it whatever name. And it's, it's like with the Amazon thing, I could never, I honest to God couldn't figure it out. It was like, it's like once we had it set up, that was it, but I didn't know how to change it. Um, but it still is sort of confusing and, and Siri lets you speak to it so much more naturally. You can just, you know, name it, name something kitchen, uh, kitchen shade, open the kitchen shades and just say, you know, Hey dingus open the kitchen shades. And, and you could say all sorts of things like, um, Just, you know, open up the shades in the kitchen and it'll, it'll do it. It doesn't have to be the exact right command line style incantation. Like it understands natural language, but it was funny. I was confused and thought it was broken because I programmed it so that our, our, both our living room and our kitchen are on the same floor. And I made a scene called open all shades and close all shades And then I would say, hey, dingus, open all shades. And sometimes it would work and open them all. And then other times it would open every shade in the house, including like in our (laughs) bedrooms. And it was because I named it. It was like I gave it a bad scene name because sometimes Siri would interpret it as this is the exact name of a scene you defined. I'll do it. And other times it was like, I'll open every shade I know about because you said open all the shades. Yeah. Which is actually, it was almost like it was too clever. So I changed the name of the scene to like main floor shade, open main floor shades and close main floor shades. And now there's no more confusing, but I have to say that editing that stuff in the home app in iOS is so much nicer to me, way nicer and way more sensible and very visual in terms of, Oh, I see. Here's it just, here's the icons for all the shades that'll go up when I turn this scene on. Um, it's super, super visual and, and really nice. And I almost feel like Apple doesn't get enough credit for how nice that is.
1: Yeah, especially now that, you know, and I haven't actually spent much time in the Siri, uh, whatever the automator thing is called, um, the workflows. Yeah, thing, uh, shortcuts, shortcuts. Shortcuts, yeah. But being able to stitch all those things together uh, makes really yeah. makes HomeKit compelling if you already have all the devices. And yeah,
0: it's a big if. But once you do, it's really, really pretty sweet. Yeah,
1: but even just like the home app, being able to toggle that stuff without saying anything too is can be
0: useful. Yeah, yeah totally, a- a- absolutely, and it, you know, just open it up, jup, hit a button, there it goes.
1: Yeah, the, I, you know, much like uh, live photos, I can imagine HomeKit being one of those things that just becomes quietly more and more popular and useful, and yeah, the kind of thing that you know, I only have one, <laughs> I have one smart light bulb, so that doesn't do anything, but. Um, When we move, we'll probably have a
0: bunch of stuff. So, Um, yeah, and I have to say, it was really pretty cool too because I, I, at some point when we first bought these shades, we had to set up this Lutron app, and we got an account with Lutron. And uh, it's uh, I've, but I haven't opened that Lutron app in like over a year. In fact, I'll bet that on my iPhone XS, I'm not even logged in because I don't think I've I haven't opened it since I got a new phone. But once you've got it configured, when you open. The iOS home app, it already knows about all these things because the Lutron app like uses the APIs to say, okay, I'll report to HomeKit. Here's everything I know about. And so you open the Apple home app and all of the stuff that y- it can control, it's all just there. Like you don't have to like add devices to home. It once you've configured them in whatever the app is for the thing, it's really, really pretty nice. And I feel like exactly what you said, that it's sort of, Everybody was like, ah, you know, and there was that whole thing when HomeKit was first announced where because they had sort of uh, a lot tighter uh, review process and security concerns, you know, that there were, you know, hundreds and hundreds of things that you could control through the Amazon, you know, devices. And there were a lot fewer for home, HomeKit because Apple had these more stringent things. But I feel like quietly they've, you know, gotten a lot of these things into the system. I don't know. It might be. It's something that if anybody blew it off years ago, it's worth another look. If you haven't looked at it recently, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, what else do we got here? We got, we didn't talk about. We we were saving it. We were saving the uh, the Apple Watch Series Four. Yeah. Why don't we? Uh... Yeah. Let's, do, do, let's talk about it. I. I. It's like you said. Or did you? We can. We can fit it in with the uh, the new <laughs> the new Palm. F- phone that came out oh my today. God. which is basically an apple watch with no band on it right right <laughs> i linked to it on daring fireball i guess i'll put it in the show notes dieter bone of course who's the the palm guy uh the palm it.
1: guy love
0: it it's it, a it's so weird that somebody bought the name palm and put this on this because it, there's nothing palm like about it it just says palm but it's not web os it's android it's mostly stock Android. It's a little phone that Verizon is selling um, very heavily. It, it Verizon, I guess, is a big part of it. I don't think it's even on any other carriers. It even has a little Verizon thing on the glass on the front, sort of subtle down at the bottom. Um,
1: Which in itself is, like, as Dieter points out, is kind of messed up because Verizon
0: arguably, like, sunk the, the palm <laughs> by not selling the, the right. pre or whatever. <laughs> Right when when Palm was was worth saving and and really was making very interesting products that just couldn't get traction for some reason, Verizon definitely helped sink them. <laughs> and now they're selling a device. But now they're back with
1: Steph Curry. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. So it has a 3.3 inch screen, which is actually smaller than even the original iPhone. The original iPhone is 3.5. Uh, it's a tiny little phone it obviously has smaller bezels than an old iPhone too so it's uh, it's not quite corner to corner but it's pretty small it's you know certainly one of the smallest touchscreen phones I've ever seen uh, and it looks adorable um, but to me the the thing that is just like what are they thinking is that it's designed as a secondary phone that that you know in the same way that with a cellular Apple watch you pay ten bucks a month to Verizon so that you can have this second phone it, that technically has its own sim card and phone number but instead because it's paired with your main device your you know if you put your main phone away and you go out with your little new palm phone and somebody calls your regular number the palm phone will will ring and you'll talk to it on there and you'll get your text messages there etc
1: it's like an alias to your yeah. to your phone as opposed to a second phone
0: right but well, it's like I, to me, having the cellular Apple Watch is pretty cool in that regard, uh, and especially now with uh, the new Watch OS. Uh, uh, I, I and now that third-party apps like Overcast uh, can can actually do uh, podcasts from the watch. It's at, when I go jogging now, I don't have to put my phone in a ridiculous fanny pack underneath my shirt. I can I can literally just leave the house with just my watch and airpods and it's such a great airpod feature the way that if the airpods are paired with my phone but i leave the house without them with my watch they just automatically go to the watch and it's like okay i'll just play the audio from the watch and you don't have to fiddle around with anything just works and i go to overcast Play a podcast and I'm listening to it. It's fantastic, and I know that if somebody calls me, I'll get I'll get the phone call. It's it's it, it's really a great feature. But I can't see I can't I having it on a watch. Having your watch be a secondary phone is seems like a great feature, and I really do like it. It's definitely worth ten bucks a month to me. Uh, having a second phone, not so much. Like it just doesn't make any sense to me. I wish that they had just made a phone at this really tiny, adorable size and made it good enough that it could be your main phone, that it has a great camera. And, and, you know, that to me would be more of a statement in terms of, Hey, how about we focus less on these five and a half inch screens that absorb so much of our attention every day? How about you take a tiny little 3.3 inch phone and spend less time on it? That would be more interesting to me. This, this idea of a secondary phone, it, it goes back to that Dave Morin from uh what was it <laughs> path with his day, yeah. day phone and night phone <laughs> anyway yeah
1: no uh, I, I i have i mean i have no interest in this at all uh i i've found there there's another company that's called Punked or punkt that makes like you know uh android powered essentially like candy bar phones like hmm. the, all, all these things that that are trying to to like force you off of your phone, either for convenience or for you know time well spent, quote right. unquote. Um, the idea that people are going to spend another three hundred fifty dollars for that just doesn't make any sense to me. Like it's it does not seem like uh, I, you know I, I don't know the watch. I guess that's how much my I think my new watch actually costs like five hundred dollars. But uh, so here I am, a right. huge hypocrite. But uh, that again to me has has. Different utility, like it's it's a purpose-built device as opposed to having just a second, smaller phone that doesn't have. I guess if you're on Android, maybe it's le- like if if you're on an iPhone, I don't know how you what just switch over to Android at nighttime or something.
0: I, I guess don't... it's clearly meant for people who have an Android phone. It's not because yeah. it doesn't it won't do iMessage either. So... Right.
1: Oh yeah. True. Right. Uh... That's why I was scared to put my SIM card into this Pixel Three. I don't I don't want to mess up my. <laughs> iMessage.
0: message. Oh, I forget how that works now. That's why I have a. I have a. I bought a second SIM yeah. card years ago. But uh, I'm gonna
1: get a second SIM card for that.
0: Yeah, I got it at T-Mobile and it's great. It's. I forget what I pay per month, but it's. It really is like no nonsense. It's like forty bucks a month or something like that, and it's like no. It, the bill really is like forty bucks a month. It's not. I like,
1: kind of want to try the Project Fi. Oh, that's another Google thing.
0: Yeah, especially if you're gonna pop it, be popping it into Android phones. It's probably. But I just a don't know
1: how easy that is to start and stop.
0: Yeah. I don't really want to keep paying for it. Yeah. After the, the T-Mobile one months. is great cuz it's prepaid and you can sign up to automatically renew every month, but if I ever uh. do but if I ever do want to cancel, I, I you know, I, I I would just go to their website, say I want to cancel and I, and then at the end of the month my SIM card will just stop working. So mm. there's no no contract, no funny business. It's it's really a great way, you know, if you're going to get a it just seems so much easier than getting a a sim like a a secondary quote unquote sim card from like the the a t and t or verizon yeah totally
1: hmm yeah anyway so the the watch uh yeah so the palm i don't i don't really have much to say about the palm other than that uh as someone who loved 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 palm for i don't know what fifteen years like sad to see this this era but right. <laughs>
0: This two will pass, I guess.
1: I don't know. Yeah. It's,
0: it's, it's a, it's such a, it's, it's the saddest story in the entire. It, it, I'm going to, uh, to me, the iPhone marks the beginning of like a new era of personal computing. And it's very, it just seems so clear in hindsight that there's pre iPhone and post iPhone. And that is just, it, it's every bit as big a deal as like the Mac was for, for computing. Um, and in the post-iPhone world, the, to me, the greatest tragedy is that Palm didn't make it because they were doing such interesting stuff with their user interface. I mean, and, and Dieter never misses an opportunity That's to, right. to point out how many of the things, the, the new features of like the iPhone X with the swipe up from bottom to go to a card view of running apps and all sorts of things that palm's web os was doing in like 2008 2009 I mean, it was they deserved was. so many kudos and it was a super attractive os it looked great it was really really well done and i know there were a bunch of ex-apple people uh at palm and it it i always said like the the palm pre you could easily have gone back if, if you took like a 2008 palm pre and went back 10 years to like 1997 in time and said, showed it to people and said, this is, you know, covered up the logos and said, this is Apple's cell phone from 10 years ago. Everybody would say, oh yeah, definitely. Oh my God, that's amazing. I can't wait to get it. And you could totally sell it as the Apple phone from 10 years in the future. Just in terms of the the system design and what it looked like. It just was so copacetic. Curve with, corners. Yep, curve corners. Uh, it just, you know, if you like Apple stuff, it was hard not to like the Palm stuff. And if anything, it was almost more of a classic pre steve jobs apple look and feel than the post steve jobs look and feel there was you know it was almost more like the classic apple which i loved and and in many ways you know it, 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 you know, I was just looking. Somebody actually reported a typo on daring over the weekend. Somebody reported a typo from October eleventh, two thousand two, on daring fireball.
1: Excellent. I, so I said, <laughs> "What was it them, about?"
0: Uh, I was just I missed the word "a." It, oh. it was just like this. I, I don't. It was like this. This should have should should have said like this is a big deal, and it just said this is big deal or something like that. So I fixed it and, and you know, said to them, you know, you've, you've just broken the record for oldest typo ever. Because I, I only started the site in August 2002. So it was like 10 weeks, 10 weeks into Daring Fireball. And I just fixed it now. Um, <laughs> but I remember I just and then it sucked me into like reading old 2002 Daring Fireball articles. And like a big theme back then was all the various ways that Mac OS 10 was crummy compared to Mac OS 9. And and to me the Palm Prix sort of nice. had that, that Mac OS nine niceness in terms of mm-hmm. no no weird fiddly uh things. I don't know, it's a sad story. And now there's For me, st-
1: I think eight five for me was the uh the, the pinnacle one, one closest to my heart. But Yeah, yeah probably for <laughs> me could've, too. Could have just been the point of my life that I was at, I don't know. <laughs>
0: I don't know. I also have a soft spot for System 7.5. I thought 7.5 oh, yeah. was a was a really sweet one. Although it's <laughs> it was the current version for so long that maybe <laughs> maybe it was it was like Stockholm syndrome. 7.5 That's was like true. 7.5 was the classic Mac OS that was like uh at the time when Apple was flailing with these, uh, eventually f- all these efforts for quote unquote next generation OS's that never, never really even came close to seeing the light of day. And so, therefore, it just, <laughs> just sort of sat around as the c- current version of Mac OS for a long time. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, Apple Watch Series 4.
1: Well, so uh, to me, the most interesting thing I've seen. Well, so and you you posted the good links to the nine to five Mac story on making the infograph face yes more more useful. And I've got a couple of those utility apps that I had never heard of before, which is kind of cool. Um, but to me, the most exciting thing are is, is just this idea of the of the UI playground that is the Apple Watch face. Now that there's enough space to yeah. poke around and. Um, you know, the Steve, was it Steve Trouton Smith? Is that how yeah. you say his name? Yeah.
0: So I'll put a link to this in the show notes. I, I think I've got it here already. Yeah. But Steve Trouton Smith, who is hacker extraordinaire. He's one of the, you know, you would know, his name he's one of the guys who, you know, sometimes finds, <laughs> finds things in, in <laughs> beta OS releases of iOS that reveal, uh. Upcoming hardware products and stuff like that he 's also a very very talented programmer, but he 's been on a kick since if anybody is by the time you listen to this he 'll be maybe closer to a week but for the last uh, maybe half a week or so he 's been uh, a recurring theme with Apple watch is how come they don 't allow third party watch faces there 's apps, and then you can your app can provide complications that fit in these you know predefined okay there 's a corner complication. Um, uh, you know monochrome you know for the certain watch face and then there's a corner complication on the utility face that is color and you, you provide you know you get to use these apis to make a complication f- for your app that provides data that fits in these little complication areas that are predefined by apple but you don't get nobody's allowed to, nobody but apple is allowed to make watch faces um and you know that's been a source of controversy or debate ever since the apple watch shipped is what, what is Apple thinking in this regard? Are they re- Is it something they haven't gotten around to yet? Is it something they're on the fence over? Or are they like, hell no, we're never going to let people make watch faces. Um, and if so, why not? But so rather than just talk about it, Stephen Troughton Smith <laughs> just <laughs> started making them. And it's not even like a hack. It's not really a watch face. What he's done is he's making apps. And then he turn on the setting in the Apple Watch. I think you have I don't know if you can do it on a watch itself or if you have to use the, the phone app, but there's a setting for, uh, last used app. And it's like, I think by default, it'll, you know, like when you raise your wrist, does it show you your watch face or does it show you the last app you were using? And I think by default, it's like after two minutes, it goes back to your watch face. So like if you're using, uh, I know, a weather app or something like that on your wrist and you tap around, you don't have to like quit it or go back to home. You can just lower your wrist and go about your day and five minutes later when you go to check the time, it just goes back to your watch face. But what he's done is set it so that it always goes back to your last running or app and he's made these apps that look like watch faces and so every time he raises his wrist, it just shows his custom app that shows a watch face and... <laughs> He's literally, I, I, I you're going to think I'm making this up, but he's, he's made, like, a system where he can generate, he's got, like, a bunch of uh, uh, options for, like, color schemes and, and dial schemes. And he's generated, like, 65,000 of these things algorithmically, like, by randomizing the colors <laughs> and the options. And most of them look really cool. It's, it is amazing. It is super cool. It, i'll put a link in and if you haven't looked at these things it is really really cool he's got this it, one of the options he has is something that sort of emulates the um very clever i've never seen anything like it just because it, it could only happen on a digital face but the the hermes watch faces for series four have an option where the half the screen is one color and the other half is the other color and the dividing line between them is based on the minute hand of the watch. So as time changes, the color scheme slowly changes over the course of 60 minutes. So he's replicated that and has literally, literally I like think, I think that's how this
1: started. Yeah.
0: Like he was just trying to clone that maybe. I don't know. Yeah, but it's, he's, it's really, it's really awesome. Cool. I love it. Yeah. And the other thing he's doing, and they do look plausible because the one thing about Apple Watch faces branding wise and we're talking about analog style ones ones with an hour hand and a minute hand um the one thing all apple watch faces to date share in common is they use the exact same style of hands which i've uh, actually yeah. i've actually asked around when i, w- I was on the Hodinki pad podcast a couple weeks ago talking about apple watch and i actually asked because uh, those guys know more about watches than anybody i asked if there was a name for this style of hand like there's all sorts of watch lingo for like different style of hands like there's some that are called like fence post hands because they're like straight. And then they have like a triangle at the end. Think about like a, like a traditional Americana fence, you know, a picket fence, there's sword hands, like certain kind of hands that look sort of like a, like a sword, but this style of hands doesn't really have a name. Uh, it's used, uh, a couple of high end watchmakers use hands like this, but everybody knows the look. It's sort of like a capsule with a little skinny thing at the end to connect it to the center you know, like an oval, these oval-shaped hands. He's – Stephen Trotton Smith's faces use Apple Watch's hands. Like he's somehow – genius that he is – fished out. He figured out where on the Apple Watch OS the hands are stored. And so he's, he's not like replicating their hands. He's using uh, Apple's hands.
1: I didn't realize that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's really cool.
1: Yeah.
0: And then I actually play this very small role in this. I actually – because I know him and I, I pinged him over the weekend – is uh, his first ones – the the proportions were slightly off like his second hand stuck out over the you know like on the uh, if you have a round watch and uh, apple watch and there's little tick marks to mark the seconds a bunch of the faces have them the second hand should be exactly the the radius of those Mm. tick marks so that the tip of the second hand exactly touches the tick marks as it goes around His, his hands were a little bit too small and i i helped him with a little bit of proportion sizing on that it's just the sort of thing you don't really notice but then once he fixed it he was like holy crap that looks so much better it's it's exactly right but these are amazing so the bigger question question then is
1: is this the kind of thing that apple ever opens up or is that you know on
0: purpose yeah i don't think they will i I think that they don't and i think it is definitely on purpose for a couple of reasons and i don't it's not going to make apple watch users happy to hear me say that but I don't think it'll ever happen. What do you think? I I can give you what I think the reasons are.
1: Yeah. What do you think they are?
0: I think one, they don't want people to make ugly watch faces. And if they opened it up for, you know, it's, there's pros and cons to opening it up because some of them would obviously be beautiful. I mean, we can see from Stephen Trouton Smith's work that some of them are really beautiful. Um, and it would be so much more, so much greater variety in choices, but a lot of them, most of them, would be ugly, and I don't think they want to allow that. Uh, I actually, I, I kind of know that the one watch face that is on Apple Watch that they are deeply ambivalent about is the photos face, the one that lets you pick a photo of your own to put on a watch, and the reason they're sort of like uh, is that a lot of people's pictures they put up on their watch are ugly. <laughs> And they don't like it, but yep. they kind of knew like, that's just the one thing that the, the story I heard is that knowing how people set their wallpapers on their phone and stuff like that, and how many people want to have a picture of their kids or their spouse or their dog. And, you know, that's what they've done. It's, what, it's the wallpaper on their computer. It's the wallpaper on their phone. It's, you know, it's just what people do. Um, and so they are go, like, oh, we got to do it. We got to let people put a picture of their kids on their watch if that's really what they want to do. But that's the one face that that can be ugly. Otherwise, and and as many gripes as as we've all had, Marco Arment had a great story this week talking about the why all of effectively he was talk, he started talking about Infograph, like you said, like with the nine to five article. It was sort of like, hey, Infograph is overwhelming by default, but if you turn everything off and then just slowly start adding stuff back, you can kind of keep it sane. But ultimately... I'm very happy with how I have mine set up right now. Marco makes a very convincing argument that all of the analog faces for Apple Watch are dissatisfying in some way. Um, Yeah. And, you know, you could solve that if you could open it up to third parties. But I don't think Apple wants to do that because they don't want to allow ugly watch faces. Um, And I think the second reason... Is it, it? It's probably even going to be even less popular among people who are hoping to see custom watch faces on Apple Watch. Is I, I think marketing wise, it's a huge. They they see it as a huge advantage that Nike and Hermes watches have watch faces that other watches don't have. And yeah, they, that is true. You know, and and some people have said, oh, it'll be a copyright nightmare because somebody's going to make a knockoff Rolex watch face and then Rolex will sue Apple and stuff like that. Like, I don't think copyright's the issue because it's like people could make a fake Rolex uh, watch face for the phone. I mean, you could do anything on the phone. You know, I mean, I, I don't I don't think the watch is special in that regard. But I just but I do think, though, that like the they don't want people like Stephen Trout and Smith making these watches that give you the Hermes look and feel. uh without spending the money on an Hermes watch.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. Like, the the copyright stuff, you know, every once in a while you see something in the App Store that's a clear copyright violation, but it seems to police itself pretty well. Like, yeah. the App Store is not terrible
0: yeah. in terms of... Well, r- I don't know. I am I'm, I'm in I hindsight... mean, if you, if
1: you look for it, sure, you'll find stuff wherever, but
0: yeah.
1: it's not you know, the way that things work is that what rises up, if you search, I'm sure you can find Disney knockoffs or whatever, but it's not like it, those things can't become very popular before they get taken down. So,
0: um, yeah, I I guess the question is the Mickey mouse face is another good example of that, where there's obviously some kind of financial arrangement between Apple and Disney for the Mickey mouse and the Pixar one. And they're. You know, they, I think, I think they enjoy, <laughs> I don't know who's paying. I don't even know who's paying whom there. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> like who is paying Is is Apple paying Disney or is Disney paying Apple? I, 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 I honestly, that's an excellent question. I don't know, but I, I don't, I feel like they don't want, they don't want universal making one for uh, the minions without Apple's involvement. Just, you know, here you go. Here's your minions watch face. You know, they like having that control. So I don't think it's going to happen. What to I th- me the
1: to me the argument would be out of functionality's sake um you know now that now that this watch face is basically becoming the equivalent of the uh panic uh activity monitor screen or yeah. whatever that you know yeah.
0: the it, status board
1: status board yeah uh i guess the infograph and the digital infograph provide enough of a canvas that you know, you're more limited by what Apple allows you to do functionally than by how it looks necessarily or how it's laid out um, but I could see I could see a world of different possibilities of different configurations and you know features that a built-in watch face would, ne- would never really support out of the box that could be potentially useful or interesting Um but it's and it's it's been interesting to see over the years what they allow you to customize and what they yeah. don't. Um, like on the iPhone, you know, first you couldn't even set the background. Now you can, so you can make your phone as ugly as you want it to. Right. Um, but you still can't con- custom configure icons. Uh, Apple is still the only. I mean, sort of like B- Major League Baseball app will let you change the the icon to your, your favorite, favorite team. team. Right. But I believe Apple is still the only. Calendar app that has the correct date,
0: right, and, in and their in their icon, right, and the way that their uh, their clock app has a actual moving second hand.
1: Yeah, and is that just phone. you know is that just a battery and CPU consideration, or do they just not want to see a home? You know, the way that Twitter stopped letting you use an animation as your right. avatar, right. do they just not want to imagine a world where every <laughs> app icon is moving yeah. all the time, right? Um, so i could see them being i could see a case where obviously they haven't gotten to it yet there's there seems to be not much like they, they definitely seem to be aware how useful the watch face is like it is clearly the most useful screen yeah um so they they're onto that as to whether or not they let you as the you know as a developer decide how the things are laid out or or the size or the the functionality of them, you're right. It probably seems that seems like two or three steps beyond where we're going. So,
0: yeah. And again, I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer here on this. I just don't think they want to do it. And, and if I like as an outsider, somebody who just is a, a customer and has an Apple watch, I kind of wish they would allow it because I would I am vaguely dissatisfied with every single Apple watch face. And I feel like if third party developers could, could make their own, I could get one that I, that I think is perfect. Um, and so me as a user kind of wishes they would open it. But if I worked at Apple and I it was my decision to make whether Apple watch would open to third parties. I, I'd probably say no because I would selfishly, I would enjoy the, the fact that we have complete control over the watch faces. And I do think that it's because Apple sort of sees itself as a quote unquote real watchmaker, you know, that they, that they treat the watch a little differently than they treat other devices. And they're a little bit more protective of what it looks like that they see the look of the, every single watch face that they provide is like, they think that this is copacetic with the Apple watch brand. And once if they opened it up to all third parties, that they'd lose that. So I th- maybe the best case scenario, and I, I know Stephen Trouton Smith even said this on Twitter at some point over this thread, is that what he you know what he hopes would be like a middle ground, where instead of like the app store where there's ten thousand, ten ten twenty thousand developers and are all submitting watch faces, if Apple just picked a limit, hand selected limited third parties to be able to bless them with the ability to provide third party faces that that's an interesting middle ground and steven said that he'd be happy with that because if they ha- if if that was even possible technically he could hack it and make his own <laughs> like he all he needs is for them to yeah. allow it in general at all and then he could just make his own watch faces and it would be fine for him that's <laughs> which, funny it's cracked it cracked me up really so that's i can i could see them doing that but
1: i don't know you know i i also thought there would be more um Partners in the way that Nike and Hermes are partners by now. Yeah, I did too. I'm actually a little surprised how few official band partnerships there are and that kind of stuff. So I don't know. Maybe they're keeping it tighter than than before. But I also would not be shocked if next year Watch OS was it five six 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 will be next has has Face Kit or something like that. And even Uh, if
0: it's limited in certain ways, like for example, I I would I would be shocked if they didn't if if you make an analog face. I'm nearly certain they would force you to use their hands, like their hands are the brand, way more than you know. Typically, typography is how you establish a brand, but like the Nike watch watch faces use Nike's font, Futura Condensed uh, Bold, and they look very, very Nike. But they use Apple's hands, and it's an inter- mm-hmm. it's just very, very interesting to me. Uh, and I even talked to someone at Apple, you know, uh, on the watch team who even talked about it that they were super they they love their hermes partnership and the nike partnership and they're even inside the apple watch design team they're just blown away by how and so happy with the way that these like the nike faces can look both nike and apple watchy at the same time and that their hermes faces look so hermesy uh you know with their distinctive weird but very distinctive typefaces that they use for the numerals and yet because of those hands it still looks very apple watchy You know? Yeah. So I don't know. I I'm, I wouldn't hold my breath on this, but it is this this exercise that people are doing, uh, making these apps that just act like watch faces is fascinating to watch, and it's just funny the way it just burst onto the scene. And now, if you look on Twitter and look at like Stephen Trouton Smith's replies, David underscore Smith is making some too. He made nice. one. That, did you see the one he made? It was no. <laughs> it but it look. no. Well, a he made one that uses Roman numerals, like tells like a digital watch that uses Roman numerals, <laughs> and it just seemed like it was meant just for you, just for me. <laughs> I, t- I tweeted at him. I said, You should be arrested. For this. <laughs> uh, but he also made one that looks like the classic, going, it's talking about classic Mac OS, that looks like the classic Mac OS uh, stopwatch cursor. Ooh. It's just this super fat 32 by 32 pixel grid of black pixels on oh, a white background. Oh, nice. Ooh, I like that. Uh, super cool. Yep.
1: I like that. Yeah. And so, I mean, hey, look, this is one of those situations where, like, you know the 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 community could inspire apple to change their change yeah. their approach you know if, if they see the the ui I hate to steal your term for i don't know what twitter apps the ui playground right. right now is uh is in watch faces so maybe maybe they'll see them and and go crap you know i guess yeah. we gotta figure something out
0: uh ken kashenda who adds that the book that just came out recently the uh, you know uh, oh yeah creative selection which is a great book uh, but he even tweeted, more or less, in favor of allowing third-party watch faces, which is that the story isn't that much different than it is with apps with the phone. You know, you get your brand new Apple iPhone and you open it up, and every single app that is there is from Apple and it all meets Apple standards for how apps should look on an iPhone, and that's it. And then you know, if you want to go get third-party apps and you think that's there's ugly apps, but you want to use them, that's up to you. But out of you know and it'd be the same way with the watch face we're here we give you you know 15 or 16 of these watch faces and they have a bunch of configurations and they're all approved by us but if you want to go outside that box and start downloading third-party ones that's up to you we'll ship you a watch that meets that we're happy with every every single watch face but we'll you know why not let people do it
1: yeah in the meantime there is the complications themselves are are, it's tricky it's not really the, this discoverability is pretty bad actually of good complications which is why that nine to five mac article was so useful yeah. and really there could be a whole micro website of just yeah. cool iphone or apple watch complications but it's a start
0: yeah uh,
1: what watch face are you using i have infograph right now uh, I'm going to admit to something embarrassing. I still have a hard time figuring out what time it is with just the hands. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's actually very common though. That's actually not uh, unusual. I, I'm, I, I get that. Cause I remember as a kid, uh, my grandparents had a clock in their kitchen that didn't have numbers and I, I was like, it, mind blown. How does anybody know what t- time it is? I was right. like, I was very proud of myself that I was able to tell time. I, I feel like I was I could tell time on a, on a clock at a at fairly early age. And I, you know, it seemed like an accomplishment. And then I'd go to my grandparents house and I'd be like, <laughs> I have no idea what time it is. I've none at all. Like, without the numbers, I had no idea. But you know, it, in school,
1: we had the, you know, the the round clock, but it had yeah. the numbers on it. Right. And, right. That um, classic, and a lot the of classic these... school clock. Yeah, and a lot of these faces just don't have it. By the way, I just noticed that the iPhone SIM tool looks exactly like the uh, watch. Oh, it does. Hand. Interesting. All right. Good huh. to know. That is awesome. Um, so I'm using info InfoGraph. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Um, and I have the middle... I still have the little calendar thing in the middle. I, I, I turned off the white background. I don't know why yeah. that's
0: the default. That's terrible. It uh, is terrible. I, I, that is baffling to me. And it's so funny that it's the default, but Apple's – all of their product marketing shots show it with the black. Yeah. Like I, don't,
1: the, I don't get it. I I don't,
0: um, I don't get that either. I almost feel like – there must have been an argument inside the company, and somebody won the argument and got the white one as the front face. And the product marketing people were like, well, we lost that yeah. argument, but we're still we're still not yeah. putting it on the box, and we're not putting it on the billboards, and we're not showing it in the commercials.
1: Uh, imagine the meeting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so I have most of the stuff turned off. Um, however, so I can t- – and there is an option to make the center – a digital time yeah but the curse it's with the second it's not just the minute it's the seconds and the colons blink yeah and that i'm not into that it, it, <laughs> it was, it was I, too flashy uh too <laughs> blinky it made me feel like
0: there was a blink tag on a website i, um, appre- I appreciate though that you're because yeah, it's true though once you start fiddling with it the little just the littlest thing like a blinking colon will drive you nuts on a watch like place. i would
1: actually pay five bucks for a cup for a Watch app that has a complication that has a non-blinking or a configurable <laughs> digital clock. Um, in the meantime, I'm using the the uh, world clock in the lower right corner with New York City. And so I can see what – the other thing is my sleeve usually covers my watch. So if I just creep the sleeve open over the right corner, I can catch the time without mm. having to unsheath the whole watch, which is kind of – a, a nice little thing. I used to use the um, color face on the old ones. Yes. Uh, and that was the one. I had that similar setup where I could just peek out the kind of the far corner of the watch and see what time it is without having to pull my whole arm out of my sleeve. Um, and then, you know, pretty simple. I, I still have the calendar thing on. I kind of like it. I kind of hate it. I don't really like the the uh, showing your next appointment yeah. thing. It's sort of useful when I'm at the office and I want to see like what conference room I'm supposed to be in next, but it also is stressful. So I might yeah. lose that at some point. I
0: I think that replacing like the 10, 11, 12, 1, 2 hour tick marks with the text right along the outer rim is clever, but it's like too clever for me. I'm like yeah, I, I got tired of that after a day. I was like that's that's too much.
1: Yeah, I might lose that. Uh, otherwise, I have. The, I love the new weather thing um, where it shows you the range of temperature for the day. Absolutely, I, I do miss the on the on the on the on the three. I used uh, the Explorer face because it would show you the cellular signal. Right. I do miss having a good description of the actual weather, whether it's you know raining or yeah. or not. Um, some third. I don't know. I imagine like dark sky will do that, but I had trouble getting that to work. So I don't know.
0: Yeah. If you haven't tried um, it yet, an app that I would really recommend is Carrot Weather, C A R, like like what Bugs Bunny eats. Oh, I
1: haven't tried that.
0: Carrot Weather is sort of a, it's very hard to describe, but it's a very, it's sort of a sarcastic weather app. And you can dial ha. up, it, like, it's not really the sarcasm thing. I probably would have really loved when I was like, a teenager and it seems a little too cute by far now, but it's a great, it is also a great weather app. If you like turn off the, um, uh, thing that makes it talk to you sarcastically. Um, but the, the complications it offers are tremendous it, it, the watch stuff. This, it, it's just, oh my God, it's, it's really fantastic. So like one, the nine to five Mac guy had the humidity on his, uh, infograph. That's he oh, got. Nice. That, he got that from carrot and it does the same thing as the weather where it gives you the range for the day. Oh cool. So if anybody's looking for some cool weather oriented watch complications, check out Carrot. It's like I think it's a I think it's a free app and you have Looks to pay Looks like
1: it's 5 bucks. You pay 5 bucks a
0: year for a subscription to unlock all the watch stuff. It's a great 5 bucks, Jesus. Just go yeah. buy it. It's really great and it gives you so many options. You go to your phone and it's just like, "Oh my god, you can set it up so that it's like um so you can have two of them, and it's, like, on Infograph. And if it's the lower left corner, it's humidity. And if it's the lower right corner, it's something else. So oh, you, cool. can, you can you can specify it to, like, the utmost if you want to fiddle around with it, which, of course, I do.
1: Yeah, and to me, like, this is now inspiring a lot of ideas. Like, could I do a, a chart beat complication that shows the... Traffic on Recode for the day, or something like that. Right? Like, you know how 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 many of these little and remember right. like spark lines that were a yeah. thing for for five minutes? Like yeah. how many spark lines could I configure on this thing? And that yeah. could be really interesting. So I'm I'm just getting started with that, and I, I really love the possibilities yeah. that it's.
0: That it yeah. allows, and it is funny. It's funny how many ways you can configure. Just the, the, you know, we're talking about wanting thousands of third-party watch faces, but it's it's funny how much time you can spend. Especially to me, it just seems like on Series Four with the Infograph stuff, it's like you can really just sink ninety minutes into screwing around with your watch faces easily, and some of them have like <laughs> like forty different colors to choose from. Yeah. Yep. There's like 18 different shades of blue. Yeah. It's, <laughs> and I don't it's, mind that, but it is, you, you end up, you you do kind of end up scrolling with the digital crown an awful lot to to go through every single color combination. I think
1: they're trying to match every band they've ever shipped or yeah. something like that. Yeah,
0: I think so. I think it's like, and, and it's like, they may only be selling 20 bands right now, but they have like color options from, you know, the spring 2017 collection. Yeah. Okay. All right, here. let me take a break here and thank our third and final sponsor before uh, we get any further. But it's, it's our good friends at Trace Pontas. Trace Pontas sells freshly roasted gourmet coffee, and it is shipped directly to you. Their coffee beans are roasted to order, your order. And they are shipped out immediately. So it's not like they roast coffee, put it on a shelf, and then it sits there for who knows how many days or a week or two weeks or whatever. They're roasting coffee every day. You place an order. You get freshly roasted coffee, and it goes right to you. And it, it makes a big difference. Coffee is a perishable item. I'm telling you. And, and it's like you can have weeks-old coffee beans, and it's not like it's undrinkable, but it isn't like having freshly roasted coffee. Um Trace Pontas coffee is all, it's named after the mountain range in Brazil and the race family, R E I S has owned this family for generations. Uh, and they've been making this coffee for over a hundred years, a hundred years, three generations, this family. But for the most part, most of that time, they've only been selling it in Brazil. Now they have Tres Pontas and they sell this coffee all around the United States and it's great. And so what you can do, you can go to TracePontas.com, order some coffee that's fine. You can also go to Amazon and they encourage you to do it if you want to and buy it at Amazon. Just search for T-R-E-S-P-O-N-T-A-S. And it's just a storefront for them. So when you buy Trace Pontas coffee at Amazon, it's not, again, not sitting on a shelf in a warehouse at Amazon for weeks and weeks. Trace Pontas still does the fulfillment. So the coffee you get buying it on Amazon is just as fresh and shipped right from the same place as when you buy it directly from Trace Pontas. It's just easier because, you know, you got the one click. Uh, And they encourage you to do it. Uh, It's really good coffee. So you can try some, buy some, get it, see if you like it. Uh, And that's great, just like buying regular coffee. But the other thing you can do is you can get a subscription. You can get a weekly subscription, a two-week subscription, get it every four weeks. It's your choice. You can change it at any time. Uh, And when you sign up for one of these coffee subscriptions, you save 10% off every bag of coffee compared to buying it bag to bag. Uh, And listeners of the talk show. Get an extra ten percent off by using the code the talk show, all one word, the talk show at checkout at the Trace Pontas website when you buy a coffee subscription. So you automatically save ten percent just by buying a subscription. You save another ten percent by using that code. You're saving twenty percent off your subscription, and then the coffee just shows up at your house every day. I wish I had some right now. I drank it all before we started recording. Uh, enter that code at checkout. The talk show at TracePontas.com. My thanks to them for making excellent coffee and for sponsoring this podcast. Oh, anything else on the watch? The only the other thing I had on the list to talk about was the the big hack, which I don't... Yeah,
1: why don't we... Why don't we
0: uh, Why do not we do that? Yeah, I haven't done a show since this big hack thing came out, and I guess...
1: Oh, that, well, sorry, I do have one more thing on the All much. right, All right, I we'll just, just get want, it out I, of the way. Let, yeah. I gotta say, it... This idea that the the cellular you know, having having LTE on your watch will let you leave your phone behind. Um the first year of that it didn't really work for me because I'd go walk the dog and realize three minutes in that oh, it's actually kinda of boring to not have your phone with you. <laughs> like, oh it would it would be nice to have Instagram with me right now. Um but there's there's now that you can do podcasts and it just feels like watch like the new Series 4 is fast enough that yeah. you you really do have a responsive device on you and not every app works like I don't know half the time the Uber app doesn't look like it's working I don't know if it's going to work now or not but it feels like we're finally getting to a place you know several years in now where this is a compelling device that is not going to replace your phone but is certainly part of the whatever the you know the "Quote unquote," this is kind of a silly jargon term, but like the personal cloud of whatever you're going to have in the future, whether it is your watch and your glasses, or your watch and your AirPods and some other sensors. Like this is definitely we're getting to a place where
0: you can see the shifts happening, and um, it's a remarkable combination with AirPods. Yeah, it it it, really does feel that, and and to me, it's exactly what you said. It's with this WatchOS five. Maybe. I, I, I still have my personal Apple Watch is still a Series 3, and I, I, I don't know how much. Series, series 4 definitely feels faster, you know, but my Series 3 still works just as well. And so I think it's mostly watchOS 5 and a, a somewhat recent Apple Watch, whether it's this year's new one or last year's. Um, but yeah, the performance is there. You, I no longer, and again, maybe it goes app by app. I, I actually don't think I even have the Uber app on my watch. But like with Overcast, like it never happens anymore. Well, I'll go to launch Overcast and I get a spinner and it just spins and spins. And it's not like Overcast fault. It's like the system is just like uh, the, I don't know, you know, that just doesn't happen anymore. It just launches and you hit play and it just pumps through your AirPods right away. And it just feels, it does feel like the future.
1: And you, you know, I, I you go for a run. You you start the Nike app. You start your run. You play a podcast. You change a podcast. You use Siri to download an, or stream a new podcast over the air. You get back. You stop your run, and nothing is lost. Right. Like right. it hasn't accidentally knocked you offline, yeah. or, or and you know, and and your battery still has the the whole day's charge left. Yeah. So I don't know. It, it just feels like we're getting somewhere with this, and. It's gratifying.
0: Yeah. The one thing I sometimes miss is uh, not having a camera because it just seems it's like sort of like the Murphy's Law type thing. Like, you know, the way if you drop buttered toast, it's always going to land butter side down. It just feels like if I go for a run, something interesting is going to happen that I want to take a photo of.
1: (laughs) That did happen to me
0: yesterday, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, I wish I had a camera. And then if I take my phone with me, nothing happens. There's absolutely yeah. <laughs> nothing of interest. I don't spot any interesting things to take a photo of. But as soon as I leave without my iPhone, there's some ridiculous scene or something that I wish I could take a picture of.
1: Yeah, and I, I don't think that's coming. Yeah, it's just know.
0: form factor-wise, it seems really difficult. It just get... feels weird. Yeah. But...
1: All right.
0: All right, the big hack. The big hack. So that's that's Bloomberg's... Truly blockbuster story, uh, alleging that uh, these servers from a company—what was the name? I, who, uh, Semi, I don't know. Elemental Technologies, and that—and they, they're they're using they make the servers, and they're they're they right. Sem- super micro, super micro, which sounds like such a made up <laughs> sounds like such yeah. a made up name.
1: Well, it sounds like it was made up in 1987, which it
0: probably right. was, right? I always thought Microsoft sounded like a made-up name, right? Like Microsoft was such a, like a typical, uh, just a typical uh, nineteen seventy-nine company name yeah. right? in our industry. But Supermicro uh, makes these boards, and according to Bloomberg, was shipping. Uh, you know, somehow the, the 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 supply chain got compromised, and the Chinese uh, the the government got them to put these tiny little grain-of-rice-sized chips on the motherboard that that enabled all these superpowers where they could phone home and then they could effectively backdoor all these servers that were used on Amazon and Apple's data centers. And then the the story got really weird because (laughs) Apple and Amazon both said adamantly, no, this didn't happen. We've been telling them. We've been working with them on this story for over a year, and we've been telling them this didn't happen. We don't know of any incident like this. And it's very, very strange. Um And nobody really knows what to make of it. The cynics, the people who are cynical about companies like Apple and Amazon are, you know, and I I get it, but they're, 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 they, I've seen so many people read Apple's and Amazon statement and try to find loopholes and be like, well, here they say, you know, a, B, and C, but they don't say D, so maybe that's, you know, that's their little wiggle room. But I, I don't think that's the case. Like, if it turns out that this story is true, or mostly true, that it's fundamentally true, Apple and Amazon look terrible because they denied it, you know. And they even said things like, and we're not under a gag order because of the, Yeah, you know. right.
1: That was the one thing where I was like,
0: <laughs> no, we're not
1: under a gag order. They, right. And they just denied it in a way that they never deny anything. Right. Like they They put posts on their websites right. and you know, they just, they, I, I've never seen them deny anything yeah. on the record in public like that right. before. Right. Um, uh, and it, I mean, and I think it, the situation calls for it. Like they're basically, not only are they being accused of, you know, being compromised, but in a way that, you know, makes it seem like they could be compromised again. Like, you know, right. they, this right. thing got snuck in, in under their, right. under their watch yeah. and, you you know, and they're and they're dummies, and they won't. You know, and they fell for it, and and whatever. Um, but I've never seen them deny it. Now, the, to me, the one thing is like and it's kind of strange cuz they they were like oh more than 30 companies were affected by this but i haven't seen much about any other companies no. and nobody since then
0: right and and nobody has come up with it's been a couple of weeks now and nobody independent security researcher has gotten their hands on one of these and said aha here's the chip and and right. part of what makes it i i think there's some egg no matter what on bloomberg's face cuz i think it was Journalistic, a journalistic crime to illustrate the story the way they did with they have uh, like the cover of the, the magazine that it shipped in had a fingertip with a little tiny chip on it. And it makes it seem as though that's the chip. And then there's pictures of a motherboard and they show a little tiny chip on it. But that's it's all just. Uh, like hypothetical Fan- right yeah fantasy like, basically right like mm-hmm. these and but every so many people reasonably and reasonably so came away thinking oh they even have a picture of one of these compromised motherboards with the chip on it but that's not it's just like this is what it could look like you know it's very strange that and and to me, it's very telling that nobody has come up with one yet, because they're even you know, they even said 30 companies were hit the The, the company was selling 1000s of these servers. So they're out there. And apparently, according to the story, they didn't even the, the, the FBI didn't even tell everybody who was involved. <laughs> like, like they, they because they didn't want to, you know, it was an American, you know, that that according to Bloomberg, part of the story was that this elemental and super micro are American companies and they didn't want to cause irreparable harm to their reputations or something. I, I don't know. It's all, but it's very, very telling to me that nobody has come up with aha here. I'm, you know, cause some independent, if some independent security researcher could come up and say, here, I found the chip on, on this board that, you know, this company who, you know, hired me, you know, I, I found it. Uh and, you know, a lot of people have made the case that, that what they're saying they did maybe is technically possible, but it would be like the hardest possible way to do this. <laughs> and that companies like Apple and Amazon really do things like photograph and and their motherboards that come in and make sure that there's no funny business on them. Like it would be so much harder to detect if they did something like this in firmware meaning the software that runs on an embedded chip so that the motherboard, uh, yeah. right? So like you've got an uncompromised motherboard and I've got a compromised one, but they're physically the same. The only difference is mine has bad firmware and yours has the right firmware. You know, that would be a much easy, harder to detect way to do it and would be easier. I would think.
1: It's just super weird that, that cause the story quotes three, quote, unquote, Apple insiders who,
0: right. you know, that is US one of the official.
1: Right.
0: It's it's very curious that they quote, quote, unquote, Apple insiders. But that is also a very weird way to say it. Are they employees or are they some, you know, who are these people? Who are their sources at Apple? Do they blog for Appleinsider.com? Right. No. It's very strange. Um, so my, yeah. I have a theory about what is actually going on. Oh, I'd love to hear it. Well, my theory is that it is effectively just part of, uh, what's the word, agitprop, A-G-I-T-P-R-O-P. It's just propaganda from the, the Trump executive branch who are trying to stoke the flames of the Chinese trade war, which is actually underway. It's not like, huh. it's not like a conspiracy theory to say that the US is trying to engage in a trade war with China. They, you know, if they say it, <laughs> they come out and say, yes, we're having, we would like to start a trade war with China and making China look bad and making it look like China is hurting good US companies like Apple and Amazon all fits in the narrative that, that, that the Trump administration is trying to provide. So I don't think I, I really don't like people have asked me, like, do you think these Bloomberg reporters made the whole thing up? I mean, are they committing fraud? No, I don't think so. I mean, Bloomberg's a, a super reputable publication. I'm sure they did talk to national security officials and that the national security officials told them these things or, or said, yeah, yeah, no, that's it. Cause then there was like a podcast that the one guy who was a named source came out on last week. And said that he was talking to the Bloomberg report. He doesn't know anything about the specifics of this case. He was just giving them background information on what might be possible in a hardware hack. And in the story, like everything he said that they might do, like the story says they did do. And he was like, that's either I'm really prescient or something weird's going on here. So mm-hmm. I think it was sort of like they got information from national security people who were just trying to get that story in the press that China is screwing around with Apple and Amazon and other companies servers and bad China. Um and didn't really give them specifics and they tried to get specifics and then like got like some hypothetical things ran it by them and they're like yeah yeah that's it sure whatever cuz they just wanted the story out there that's my theory and I, I to me everything that's happened since fits with that and knowing and this is the one thing i was thinking like
1: there's there's basically no situation in which apple can publicly badmouth China. Right. And that
0: is Stokes, the cynicism of people, you know, you know, that's why people are so cynical about Apple's reply as well. Of course, Apple's going to say it didn't happen because they can't piss off China.
1: Yeah. You know, not only as a place where a lot of people buy phones, but also with everything they, they have is made. Like if, if for some reason, Apple had to stop doing business in China,
0: there would be no more Apple, at least
1: for a long time, right, it would be devastating so, to Apple, yeah, right, would,
0: like it, apple it's probably the single biggest danger Apple faces, or certainly uniquely to apple, you know that, that that you know you know the Chinese government is an authoritarian communist regime that can really do whatever they want at any moment, you know
1: yeah. so
0: it's it's truly at this point an existential threat to Apple because you know at least you know maybe not existential, but it it would be I mean, devastating
1: profoundly devastating like right. they would have to figure out how to move everything to brazil india where you know in
0: right.
1: in a matter of days right.
0: uh, not gonna, not which is probably impossible or right. at least super hard or it would take uh, years years to rebuild years yeah. and years years and billions and billions of investment you know it would be very difficult but uh, so
1: it's interesting how strongly they denied it while also you know not saying anything remotely bad about Chinese government or anything like that um it just it's it's weirdly specific about certain things that either like are pure fantasy or had to have happened or i mean i guess there's a middle ground um but it just seems very weirdly specific about certain things it's interesting to me that none of these bylines are I don't think from their tech desk either. No, like, I think no. this is the DC desk or yeah. something like that. Yeah, um, I think so too. <laughs> I don't know if the tech editors were involved in editing. I, I, it's been, I haven't been to a good uh, New York media cocktail uh, party in a, <laughs> in a little while, so I don't have the gossip on like who actually edited this. Right. But you know, you know, b- still, Business Week is you right. know, arguably one of the highest standard publications that exists. So they're not. I would be really surprised if they kind of flubbed the I I don't know if they have fact checkers, but if they flubbed the I, I just I it, just but. think
0: it all comes down to that they took they, they bought a bill of goods from these national security sources whose goal was specifically just to fan the flames of a trade war, so yeah. they've got sources who told them the things they're saying sources told them, but I think the sources are the ones who were full of shit or exaggerating yeah, yeah. or, or were, were vague up front, and then when asked, "Could it have been like this?" that they were like, "Yeah, yeah, sure, whatever." Yeah, you know they just wanted to see the story in print because it makes China look bad.
1: Anybody, terrible, anybody yeah.
0: who believes the story, it makes China look absolutely terrible. And, of course, China's official statement was so cryptic. It was like, like they didn't do themselves any favors by by issuing a statement that, that was sort of a non-denial denial. Like, who knows what's going on in cyberspace? I think the Chinese <laughs> statement literally used the word cyberspace. Awesome.
1: By the way, uh, you have to look at the supermicro.com homepage. Oh, it looks. <laughs> It looks like it was made on uh Adobe
0: Fireworks. It, it is this is a very 2002 Oh, homepage. I would say like 1998. It's not even yeah. a retina. It's all rendered in graphics and it, none of the graphics are retina resolution, so it, everything looks blurry. It has an amazing drop shadow that is
1: cropped so you can see the hard edge on yeah. the on the shadows
0: i will put a link to the super micro website in in the show notes boy super micro i don't know if they've recovered or not, but when i checked it the, they, they lost like their stock price took like 50 oh, yeah. percent hit all right i got i'll put a link to that recode story in there too all right i guess we should wrap it up uh we've gone on long enough i don't really have much more to say about this big hack other than that i
1: it's crazy i don't either i we'll uh, see i mean I, i'm surprised there hasn't been anything corroborating it or right. uh or you know adding in, and they supposedly were reporting this for a year so i yeah. don't know I, well I don't,
0: the, I, the thing that to me it, 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 you can't prove a negative but it it's very very suspicious to me that we don't still have corroboration because sup- supposedly it was thousands of servers and they're out in the real world for anybody who knows their shit around a motherboard to say yeah here it is here's the here's the spurious chair yeah. here, here's one of these motherboards and here's the Here's this rogue chip, you know, and it, the fact that we haven't gotten that yet is to me very suspicious. Again, it doesn't prove anything, but as time goes on and if it continues that nobody can show one of these compromised boards, it sure looks like a bogus story. Agree. Yeah, Dan, thank you for your time. Everybody can read thank your you. work. Your team's fine work at Recode. Uh net dot uh, net net is where all the best domains are frankly that is correct and of course they can follow you on on twitter at from dome f-r-o-m-e d-o-m-e it's but always good I'm, to see
1: if i might plug one thing of course took, you can plug I, anything i took the summer off because i was very busy at work but i'm relaunching my travel slash credit card points newsletter Slash blog at pointsparty.com. Please Point sign up if you if you party. want a friendly guide to the complex world of Chase Sapphire and Amex Platinum and American Airlines and all the uh, alliances, how to get the most out of your points, make them go farther, have very posh hotel free hotel stays like I do around the world or sit in the kind of airline seats that give you pajamas (laughs) check it out pointsparty.com i
0: I am so glad that you've got your you're reinvigorated to do pointsparty.com because i'm back at it it's it's the sort of thing that i really really care about but i don't care enough about to do the research and so what i want is you to just tell me what to do
1: that's the plan i'm gonna do the research and uh yeah i should have a new uh newsletter out within uh, a week
0: or so so i can't wait Well, everybody, I'll put that in the show notes as well, but at pointsparty.com, I highly recommend it. And Dan really does, he really does know this stuff. It's
1: what I fall asleep reading every night.